Uh, one ticket for And Why Not, please. Episode 9 of And Why Not, the movie podcast from the nerds who haunted themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine, I am a have-a-go writer, drawer, podcaster, postman, and lover of the film Footloose. And for this episode, I was joined by the mighty Damien Edwardson for a no-holds-barred discussion about the film No Holds Barred. As always with this podcast, we talk about the film with no restraint on spoilers, so if you don't want the film spoiled for you, press pause and then come back and, and give this a listen after you've watched the film. Um, or if you don't care, just dive straight into the podcast. Um, there's not a lot to spoil in No Holds Barred, to be fair. Um, just to warn in advance as well, there's some um, fruity language within this episode. Um, there's a couple of uses of the C word um, during the Bernard Pivo section at the end where I ask the question, what's your favourite curse word? Um, so if that offends you, you might want to give that section a skip, but just letting you know in advance. And that any views or opinions expressed in this podcast are uh, by the guest are their own and don't necessarily reflect the notes who haunted themselves. Um, yeah, uh, we are back. Apologies for being away for so long for the three of you who missed us. Um, but yeah, it's been one of those years up and down, um, various things going on, so I've not really been getting the podcast done, so that's on me and I apologise. Um Hopefully we'll get back up to some semi-regular form of getting this thing out. Um, but yeah, that's enough of that. You don't care about that. You are here for full-on no-holds-barred action. Um, so without any further delay, I will roll the trailer. Hey, are you looking for a little escape? <laughs> Want to see something? This is sick. You don't see every day. Are you ready for a whole new Hulk Hogan? Hulk Hogan is ripped. To the world, he's a hero. But to this man, he's history. Zeus. Stand back. Way back. Get ready for the battle no ropes can hold. No ring. No referee. No rules. Gentlemen, it's time. No holds barred. This is an unprecedented display of strength and determination. Uh, hello and welcome to And Why Not. This time I am joined by uh, the artist, podcaster, and one half of Art92 and creator of Galaxy Grappling Alliance, Damien Edwardson. Damien, how are you? Oh, I'm fine actually, yeah. I'm still going. Um, lock, locked in the house. Can't get out. Not allowed well, out. You know I don't what think you did. there is an out anymore. No, I... <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like Terminator, right? Now. <laughs> if it weren't for the dog, I wouldn't fucking go out at all. To be honest with you, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> that's the real reason you got the dog, wasn't it? So you had a reason to go out. It's a good job actually, because I was getting like I'm. 
I'm naturally um, antisocial anyway, as yeah. you will know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's got progressively worse over the last six months or however long it's been because I've thought, you know what, I actually quite like this not seeing any fucker at all. But yeah, we got Marty the dog, and he's named after Marty McFly. Um, I love because, the yellow suit you got him. It's good. He's got a red one as well. It looks like a puffer jacket. Nice. And um, yeah, like, so we got him this yellow rain jacket. And immediately, when I was looking online, I thought, I've got to get him a yellow one. Because I already had that image of when Marty crashes into the barn <laughs> and you know, he comes out. And, uh, and that's why I spliced those two pictures together. But yeah, so we got Marty and uh, we called him Marty because we were convinced that he can go like, you know, 88 miles an hour if we let him <laughs> off the lead. So we, we don't risk it. But yeah, he's he's a good boy though. I mean, he's he's a bit afraid of fireworks, but other than that, he's uh, he's cracking actually. He's he's made us happy in this otherwise shit show of a year. To be yeah. honest, nah, dogs are great for that. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've always been a dog person. So it's just <laughs> kids and a dog would be too much for us. I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm always torn with that. Is our family really complete until we get a dog? But then we just borrow my sister-in-law's cockapoo, so we look after that twice a week. So that's enough. It's hard enough having one or the other in it, but I couldn't imagine how people manage with both. It's like, I just, you know, yeah. Uh, no, yeah that's enough. A couple of times picking up dog poo, and I'm kind of like, yeah, I'll just borrow a dog. It's fine. <laughs> nice and warming on the hands, though. It'd be good in winter. <laughs> <don't we? laughs> yeah, I should use a bag, really. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some dirty bastard around here who doesn't pick up after the dog, right? And I'm saying to H, I hope because, like, we, we kind of. Um, became quite famous around the local sort of dog walking area because we were new. It was like, oh, there's a new dog. There's a new dog, you know. And uh, when H was out walking him in the morning, people would stop and go, oh, hello, you know, are you new? Is he, you know, is he new? And all this lot. And then last couple of weeks, we've noticed that somebody's letting the dog shit down this alleyway where we walk. And I keep saying, I hope nobody thinks that's us, you know, because it's like, yeah. it's, one of the, it's one of the things that I just, cannot stand that and you know littering of any type it's like just don't be such a disgraceful excuse of a human and take your shit home you know or put it in a bin it's the worst thing about my job is getting back in the van and then going oh i've trodden dog shit oh it's just there's no need is there it's just absolutely no well i hope it's a dog anyway well yeah yeah, where i I used to work there was a human taking a shit at the back of our shop but (laughs) Where, where I work, there's, there's a car park nearby, and um, if if you ended up getting there a bit late, you were on the, the eighth floor, and if you had a, went on the eighth floor, you always knew that somebody would have a shit in the stairwell oh, on the lovely. eighth floor, and it was the grimmest thing ever. It was just Ooh. every weekend, you know. And you think, what what is the scenario where you take a shit in a car park? I can't oh. think of one. One of the places I used to work, I don't even think the company's in business anymore, but it was a shop, but they'd taken over an old Tesco one that used to be in the town centre. But the upstairs was just derelict and there was shit everywhere. But if you open the elevator shaft, the lift didn't work anymore. All you could smell is shit where somebody had obviously been (laughs) shitting in the elevator shaft. It's like, there's the comical image of just that door being prized open, somebody sticking their ass over it and crapping and walking off. But... It's just fucking horrible. And they'd obviously just chucked a load of old food down there as well when they emptied it out. Oh, no. So it was no. just vile. That was the worst job I ever had. People are a disgrace, aren't they? They really are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get people. 
No, I don't. But, I don't understand them. I don't. And, you know, this is why I, I try and avoid them. Yeah, same. <laughs> this, this lockdown's been the best thing for me with that. <laughs> I, I go out and do my job, and I get to. People are always more relatively usually pleasant to their postman. So. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't fault. Stuff, I do not bend in half. So you're the bringer of good news or goodies or you know sex swings or whatever it is that you deliver in this week. Or you know subway I mean? Yeah, <laughs> let's not talk about the sex swings. No, no. <laughs> your postman knows. <laughs> yeah, thinking about that. No wonder they say discrete packaging available. It's like because it's like, aye, aye. <laughs> it's discrete packaging, but the return address is always the same. <laughs> That's where they get you. <laughs> the, the three food listeners now are like, shit, I told you. I told you we knew. <laughs> I do apologise. We've gone off, off track already, haven't we? We have. Um, so let's, let's swing it back round to the, the year 1989, <gasps> the year we had Batman. Licensed to Kill, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Back to the Future 2, Lethal Weapon 2, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Field of Dreams, Star Trek 5, and Roadhouse. And you've picked none of those for. <laughs> nope. Nope. It you've may gone... have been arguably one of the greatest years of cinema history, particularly for sequels. Yeah. Um, it's Ghostbusters 2. What a fucking amazing film. It really is a good film. Yeah, you said Didn't on your pod anywhere. the other day about it. Yeah. But... Don't get Batman anywhere because Batman largely overshadowed everything. I mean, Absolutely. you can tell Batman was massive because it even overshadowed the Bond film for that year. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and the other casualty, obviously, of Batman and Batmania in '89, which, as I've said before, you know, if you weren't around for '89 for Batmania, you you'll ne- you never see anything like it again. Have you've never seen people with the bat symbol cut into the back of their heads. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everything was Batman. Everything. It's like you couldn't. You know, you you couldn't move for bat something, you know, or the Prince soundtrack playing or That's whatever. It, it was amazing. I said you'd go abroad and they'd be playing bat dance. I was so excited for Batman. And my favourite trainers were a pair of yellow and black daps <laughs> that had, that were official Batman ones, and I had the shoe box for years, but I didn't get them. I wasn't allowed them in '89. I had to wait till they went in the sale the following wow. year. I yeah. fucking loved those trainers. I wore them to death. Yeah, and. And unfortunately, there were a lot of films that were casualties of that. Like you just you said, you know, some really good films there, you know, Back to the Future 2 and stuff like that. But, you know, I think one of the biggest casualties is probably what we're going to talk about today, actually. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Hello? You still there? Yeah. Sorry, I passed out. <laughs> it's, uh... Yeah, so it's, it's the 1989 Hulk Hogan classic, No Holds Barred. Uh, directed by Thomas J. Wright, who, as near as I can tell from his IMDb, has done little more than TV episodes. Yeah. So big hitters like NCIS, Highlander, Firefly, Bones, Angel, Supernatural, Constantine, Smallville, uh, Criminal Minds, all that sort of thing. Um, I think that might even be No Holds Barred might be his only film. I can't think why. No, I, I'm, I'm I'm aghast to find well, that. Yeah, um, might be written truth. by Dennis Hacken, who seems to have written about six other things and then disappeared. Well, written originally by Dennis Hacken, yeah, and then as as apparently as Hulk Hogan himself wrote and Vincent Mann has, has admitted as well, they didn't like the script, so they locked themselves in a Florida hotel for seventy two hours straight and rewrote it. Not that you can tell when you watch the film that it was written in potentially 
you know, 72 hours by two people that had never written a script before. <laughs> it doesn't show at all. No. Everything no. flows seamlessly in this it, film. The dialogue is, you know, it's, it's crafted um, by, by, by two masters. <laughs> and I'm sure there are, there are absolutely no illegal substances um, to play. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even want to sully your podcast by insinuating such. But fucking summit must have been going around in the air when they wrote some of this stuff. Well, I imagine a lot of it was Hulk Hogan doing push-ups on a bed. <laughs> <laughs> Which we'll come back to. Yes. <laughs> in the saucy scene. <laughs> but yeah, so it's... it's uh... wow. It's a vehicle for Hulk Hogan. You get a couple of brief cameos from Jesse Ventura and Mean Gene uh, right at the beginning, which yeah. I, I was kind of hoping they were going to be in it more. I always loved it when it's like when The Undertaker popped up in Suburban Commando. Yeah. Although yeah. he had a bigger part in that than these two doing this. But um, yeah, so it's the Hulk Hogan, Joan Severance, uh, Kurt Fuller, who's playing the most Kurt Fuller 80s sleaze bag out of all the Kurt Fuller 80s sleaze bags. Fucking so, terrible. He played two in the same year because he was in Ghostbusters too as well. Yeah, yeah. At least he's he a bit better. He evolved a pick of that year. Yeah, yeah. But he's, um, yeah, he's not great in this, is he? Um, unfortunately, the what? film does suffer from some underperformance. I fear, but we, we will discover. Yeah, you had Tiny Lister as a uh, Zeus. Yeah, we'll talk a bit more about as well. Uh, Mark Pell- Pellegrino. As Hulk Hogan's brother, which you look at me like, how the fuck are these two brothers? Yeah, and he, and then he went on to be um, Rita's ex-husband in Dexter. Later That's on, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was watching, we we rewatched that the other week, and I was thinking, I fucking know his face. And I'd forgotten that he was Randy. Uh, well, no, well, <laughs> who were? But he was, he was uh, <laughs> Rip's brother, Randy, in Noel's Bard. And Rip and Randy. Going, oh, that's that's where I know him from. Yeah, a bit of Randy Rippage. He's um, that guy that sort of pops up in all the crime shows, isn't he? Like as the that week's murderer, or yeah, occasionally and, and, that week's corrupt cop. Yeah, and you may need to put a disclaimer on this because there's a there's a bit later on when um, I'm actually quite glad it's. I think it's meant to be a touching sort of dramatic moment, but I'm actually quite glad that he gets a kick in because he's yeah. the right fucking knob, isn't he? <laughs> oh, he's a yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like just some people that you just yeah. want to immediately like punch in the face. And I'm not a violent person, but fuck it, I'd make an exception. Oh, that character, Randy. Fucking hell. Oh, man. No. I'll tell you what, there's no way Rip's parentage and Randy's parentage are the same. I'm sorry. No. But That's what I mean. Str- there's no way they're brothers. They'd have been on Jeremy Kyle that lot, wouldn't they? It would you have know? been more believable if Tiny Lister was Hulk Hogan's brother. <laughs> Oh, Mean Gene. <laughs> Do you know, just talk about Mean Gene. We're talking about the beginning of Mean Gene and Jesse Ventura because it opens with the wrestling match. Yeah. And they're doing the Well, commentary. no, it opens with that weird close up of Hulk Hogan, like heavy breathing and spitting everywhere. <laughs> just <laughs> glistening. Fair enough. Um, but then, <laughs> but you've got Mean Gene and, and um, Jesse Ventura who, for a living, Basically, you know, because of the whole, you know, not wishing to break kayfabe for anyone about wrestling, but obviously, you know, it isn't all absolutely 100% genuine. So they made a living out of acting those roles. But when they act them in this film, they're fucking terrible. <laughs> it's like, I mean, Mean Gene's not bad because he was just great at everything. But, but Jesse Ventura, 
he, he says, wooden as fuck. And you're like, you're just doing what you do every week. Why, why all of a sudden are you really bad? It's like, you know, if you watch old clips of him doing commentary, he's great. And it's the same thing. It's just like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, and it's two years oh, after he'd done Predator, in which he was really yeah. good in, you know, for yeah, what was. that role was. I mean, he was yeah. no, like, you know, Martin Brando or anything, but... <laughs> I think the film's cursed, you know what I mean? Because it had all the ingredients to be an all-time classic. I think, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, that I think it's it was the victim, it came out a couple, it was made a couple of years too late. If it had come out around the time of Over the Top and Every Which Way But Loose and all those sort of 80s ridiculous fighting movies yeah i think it possibly would have shone a lot better than it did but in 89 it just got lost it felt it felt old in 89 or by 1989 standards yeah yeah i don't know i think you're being generous there mate i think it's just a bit dodgy well it's it's very dodgy too but 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 so's over the top and that seems to shine on yeah that's true that's true, and that that's I mean, a terrible film as well. Um, I think the best description it, of Over the Top was it's a love story between a guy and a, the son he wants to fuck. But it's like, <laughs> and you watch it with that in mind, you're like, shit, that is kind of what that film is. Uh, well, it's like No Holds Barred. I mean, my favourite quote about No Holds Barred was Jim Ross when he was commentating, and he said, <laughs> I think it was, um, or as it's better known, no profit allowed, because it barely <laughs> broke even, didn't it? You know, it cost $8 million. And then, you know, to me, 16 million by the time they distributed it i think they made nothing out of the yeah. whole thing um, which is why we never got no holds barred too you know it, it must have been all that realism in it <laughs> yeah anyway sorry so we're, we're we're spoiling it here aren't we but you know so yeah the classic no holds barred and I, I must admit as much as it's a terrible terrible film um it's one of my favorite terrible terrible films as oh it's well. a legitimately fun watch i get quite upset just... when people don't like it <laughs> It just feels like scenes strung together to a certain degree with the loosest story. Because it's so you've got that, and you've got Kurt Fuller as the evil TV exec who wants to own the rights to Rip. Yeah. Not the wrestling federation that he works for, he just wants Rip. He wants a good Rip in. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so he invites him over to his office to try and buy him, but Rip can't be bought because he's a man of his word when it comes to his contracts. Man and there's that whole thing about his chair. I generally thought something was going to happen with that chair. Yeah, they the build it up like the watch in Die Hard. Yeah, like, that's going to play into something in a minute. He's either going to smack him around the head with it at the end, or yeah, and it I thought, never comes up again. I thought he was going to like just pick it up and crush it. You know, yeah, or like, like you know, he'd go to stand up and rip the arms off by accident or something because well, you know, clumsy big guy in a delicate um, antique well, chair. What we do get in that scene, though. Um, which is quite pain, painful to watch, really, because um, I don't I don't think Hogan was quite the actor that maybe they anticipated he would be. And again, strange because if you watch Hulk Hogan do his wrestling promos, which quote unquote, you know, he's acting in those yeah. promos, he's really good and believable. You know, some of the stuff that they did back then was genuinely engaging and quite believable. Oh, the whole soap opera story of wrestling. Yeah, like you know the whole thing between him and Macho Man Randy Savage, and the rivalry between him and Andre the Giant, and all that stuff. Yeah, you really bought into that as a kid, to the point where yeah. I wouldn't have it for years that any of it was staged. And even now, when you watch it, you've got to admire the the conviction and the the 
the skill that went into those kind of promos, the talky bits yeah. and building up the tension and even the acting, you know, the selling within the ring and outside the ring when things were going on. But then in this scene where it's his first real kind of um, acting scene, because the first the first major scene set up is a, is a wrestling match where he he's fighting um, Bill Eady, who's obviously yeah. one half of Demolition. He was acting Demolition. So it's setting up the fact that he's the WWF champion and all this lot, you know, and he, he kind of wrestles his way through. That's quite well shot, to be fair. It's very Rocky Three. There's lots of throwbacks to Rocky Three in this, <laughs> which obviously he'd been in his Thunderlips. Yeah. You know, and I was making a nose I was going through, and I think I got to about four or five where I'm going, yes, yeah, a Rocky Three, yes, yeah, a Rocky Three, yes, yeah, a Rocky Three. <laughs> and in that, it's like you think, actually, this might not be a bad film. And then they get to a bit with acting. And then <laughs> you think, yeah, actually, this might be a bad film. And even, you know, um, sort of like the, the people you would expect more of, you know, um, Brell, it's terrible. Yeah. It's just, it's just terrible. They're like, they're not even two dimensional because that'd be like at one dimension too many. It's, no, it's just, it's the very definition of phoning it in, isn't it? Oh, it's awful, awful. <laughs> and then Hogan's got to be, you know, all kind of, um, you know, the, the, really nice calm guy and he's a big brute but he's a lovely guy really and he's very softly spoken you know and he does all that stuff and you just think like he's going to pick this chair up in a minute and eat it or you know smack him over the head with it and he doesn't do any of that but it does come to the first really good um, kind of one-liner that we get which is where they tried to buy you know um rip off with a, a, a blank check and they have a they have a bit of a, a you know a sort of disagreement and the word jockass comes up quite a lot which always gets <laughs> jockass <annoying>. meathead and <laughs> yeah and he comes back and he picks the blank check up and Brill's like oh you know yeah we've got him and he looks through his other two little you know lick spittles at the side and it's like oh yeah we've we've got him he's going to sign and he he basically puts the blank check in in Brill's mouth and says you know. And I don't want to be here when it clears. And I thought, actually, <laughs> that is quite a good line, to be fair. You know, uh, you think if that was in a Bond film, we'd yeah. all be going out. Or a Schwarzenegger right? movie. Yeah, it's actually a good line. It's it just is. everything around it that was steaming shit. So, <laughs> you know, a bit disappointing. Not the, not the best start, shall we say. But... And the other thing about, sorry, about the first five or ten minutes of that film that even now gets on my nerves is he's called Rip. Right, that's his character. So he's called Rip and he rips his shirt and all this stuff. And, you know, but how many fucking times, how many times does he go, rip him, rip him, brother, rip him, rip him? It's like, oh my God, we get it. You know, yeah, you're going to rip him something, but it's like every other word in it, rip, rip. It's like, fucking hell. You know, I had to mute it at one point. There's a man with a brand who knows how to drive that brand home. Yeah. Yeah, you could just imagine, like, Vince McMahon, say rip, say, you've got to say about 50 times in this scene, rip, 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 <laughs> it's like, you know, and then that Randy's there going, rip him, rip, rip, <laughs> and you're like, oh, fucking hell, you know, ah, oh, no, no, doesn't get off to the best start, guys, but stick with it, it gets yeah. better. Stick with it for the limo ride. <laughs> oh, the limo ride. <laughs> Which yeah. Hulk basically steers a car by kicking it. <laughs> From the inside. <laughs> We've all done it. We fair. have, yeah. <laughs> and the greatest escape from an armour-plated limo that he gets locked in, <laughs> where 
can only be described as one of the standout moments of the film where <laughs> he, he he escapes from this limo. So you imagine he's kidnapped in a limo and he's going, you've gone the wrong way. And the limo driver kind of goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, you've gone the wrong way. And he goes, yeah. And he puts these, presses a button and these metal shutters come up on the windows and separate the driver from, from Rip. And he's, he realizes he's being kidnapped. So he starts kicking shit out of the car trying to get out. Which then makes the car, as you say, um, he's, he's almost on autopilot with it. So he's he's kicking the car about, and they end up in some abandoned kind of warehouse, don't they, somewhere? Yeah. Where there's a gang of goons waiting to to do a number on him, and he escapes by <laughs> what can only be described. I wrote it down as a mixture of the Hulk and the Six Million Dollar Man, <laughs> where he kind of leaps in slow motion through, through the sunroof. Uh, towel compared or something goes everywhere <laughs> and lands on the, the, the kind of roof of the car but it's just it's done in it you know because you think he, he jumps about 20 feet from a standing yeah. start <laughs> you think, you're right it is an incredible hulk thing it's, it's amazing isn't it <laughs> he's even down to that pose it's just painting green <laughs> yeah but, and, and then it leads to the greatest bit with the limo driver Oh, right. for yeah. a good thirty seconds, he's just in his face, going, <sighs> yeah. before he goes, "What's that smell?" Dookie. <laughs> <laughs> so the limo driver basically shits himself, and anyone that knows anything about Vince McMahon, the guy who owns WWF, who co-wrote this allegedly with Hulk Hogan, he's obsessed with shit. Fart jokes, piss jokes, all that sort of stuff. But it's, it's grim because you get a shot of his ass as he sort of adjusts himself and it's yeah. just wet and brown and horrible. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was to be fair, you know, you can't knock the effects. It was pretty well done. <laughs> I'd say but, that's where half the budget went. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine they probably spent longer filming the dookie scene than anything else, couldn't you? Because as I say, they that's... probably have meetings about it. Yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck says Dookie anyway? Well, that's what I thought because I originally wrote it down as Doody. Yeah. And then when I looked at, watched it again, I was like, he doesn't say Doody. Yeah, he says Dookie, and it's like, what the fuck? I don't know. (laughs) Considering it went for, I think it was a, was it PG thirteen the rating on it? So it was kind of not. It was weird because it kind of missed that kiddie audience. Um, Yeah, it's a weird film because it doesn't really. It's not full of bad language. The no. violence isn't particularly bloody. There's no sex in it. No. There's no nudity other than, you know, Hulk's bare chest. Yeah. It's so, just full of, like, really bad double entendre kind of scenes, isn't there, where yeah. they, they, you know, and typical 80s tropes that we'll come on to a little bit later that are slightly problematic. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's weird. I don't know. In fact, there's so, no swearing in it, is there? I don't think. Not, not like a thing of nothing that sort of jumped out at me. I was swearing. Yeah, <laughs> so was Especially I. Every time Randy came on, like, fucking punching. <laughs> Swat. Oh, <laughs> poor Randy. Randy nothing. Gets what he deserves. <laughs> Talk about riding on the coattails of your brother. Jesus. What does he do? Doesn't train him. Charlie's his trainer. What does he do? Uh, Apart from Stanley. <laughs> Standing going, rip, he, he reminds rip. him to rip up. Yeah. And that great scene when he goes, rip, just try. So <laughs> get him beaten to fucking death. Just try. <laughs> you get in and try then. You little, uh, Look, 
Randy's clearly realised that Rip isn't actually his brother. So he's, he's trying to find a way to be indispensable to him. Yeah. Before Rip realises and boots him out. Fucking hell. But, but moving away from the plot of the film then Sorry. just quickly. Oh, so dude. what... Take me back to the beginning. When did you first see No Holds Barred? Were you there when it came out? Or was it something you discovered on video later? Or Right, so No Holds Barred for me is actually quite interesting because it was that I was really, really, like, balls deep into WWF at this point. I loved it. I, I'd, I'd been watching it for four or five years off and on. And I was at the age when I was about, you know, between... So I was about 16 when this came out, 15, 16. And I loved this because it was paired with um, a match as well over here because it didn't come out um, in the UK straight away that I can recall. I think it first came out on video. Yeah. Um, which when I first saw it fully. And Sky had the rights to, to the WWF and they'd show all the, like, pay-per-view stuff and, and things like that. And in America... After the film came out and had a had quite a good opening weekend and then just fell off a cliff because everyone went, fucking hell, it's terrible. <laughs> so it's it's they, not a repeat viewer, is it? They, they decided to, to have no holds barred the match and the movie. And I think it was on a Thanksgiving where they, they basically did a pay-per-view event where you could, hire, you could pay for the movie and then you could watch a, a live match where Hulk Hogan um, faced off against... Zeus, who we'll come on to a little bit later, who's obviously the main um, bad guy in the film. So watching the WWF on Sky, and, and they were promoting this all the time, like, you know, No Holds Barred, the match and the movie. And I was thinking, oh, I wish we could get that. And we, we didn't. We didn't get either of them um, over here. And it was only a couple of years later that, that it was a like a videotape series called The Best of WWF and they had the, the the match the no holds barred match on them which was Hulk Hogan and uh, Brutes the Barber Beefcake versus Zeus and, and Macho Man Randy Savage in a steel cage it was in the big blue steel cage and um, it was a great match it is a good match I watched it the other day on the network just just so I could refresh my memory for this this chat and it is a very good match considering that you know um, Tiny Lister couldn't fucking wrestle his way out of a fucking sandwich bag and, um, you know, <laughs> the only one that could really wrestle out the four of them was Macho Man, you know. Yeah. So he has to kind of carry the whole thing, really, when it comes to theatrics and stuff. And he's the only guy that bleeds and all this lot. And uh, But it is it, it did capture that whole feeling of everyone thought, shit, you know, this guy Zeus could actually be, you know, quite a big player in the WWF. And it turns out he didn't. He was just dreadful. So, um, so yeah, that's how I first knew about it. And as I say, the film wasn't available and I think it came out on video and that's when I first watched it on video. So that'd be about probably early, um, 90, it would have been because yeah. the film came out 89 and then I think it was like the January of 90 when I first watched it and rented it from the video shop. It's and a I, classic I thought, video shop movie, isn't it? Oh, it's a proper 80s cinema club thing. Um, yeah. me and my mate Salt, they used to have this 80s cinema club where we used to go every Wednesday night to... This, this cinema in real um, where I was living and we'd, we'd watch anything. We'd just pick a film and watch it. And we saw some wonderful stuff. And we saw some absolute shit as well. But we went, like, we did that for, I think it was about a year or so. You know, we just kept going and, and we, we just turned it 80s cinema club. And this would have been a great 80s cinema club, but it was never on the cinema. Um, but it is a truly 80s match, considering it's at the, the back end of the 80s, which is why I think maybe... As you said before, it didn't do so well because yeah. I think it came out. If it had been mid eighties, it would have probably 
not been quite as badly scored. No, I think if it had caught that yeah. rocky, the height of the rocky craze, so sort of around rocky three, rocky four. Yeah. And, you know, the, the over the top and every which way but loose any which way you can kind of fight in movies. Mm. It, it might have found an audience then. But yeah, I think by 89, people are moving on, like you say, with Batman coming out, Ghostbusters 2, Lethal Weapon 2, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That was a massive yeah. film as well. Plus yeah. you just these... had Die Hard as well. People's tastes have changed. Yeah, yeah. and these were the days as well that, that people find weird now, but when you had to queue for the cinema around the fucking block, yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, I queued for four and a half hours with my mate Ian Saylor to watch Ghostbusters when it came out because yeah. the first the first showing was sold out and we had to wait for the second showing and that was sold out and we had to wait for the third showing. So we were on like, you know, four and a half hours by the time we got in there. And, uh, That's it, you, you could book online because it wasn't no. the internet. You could book on the phone because they just didn't have the technology for doing that either. Yep. It was just that's a queue and wait. Luck, wasn't it? <laughs> so, um, but I don't think this would have had that problem. Um, no, no, probably not. I imagine people probably would have said, really? Yeah. So that was my first introduction to it. And when I first hired it, I, I was still desperate to like it. I did like it, even though I was kind of watching it thinking, it's mm, not quite what I was <laughs> hoping it would be. But I still like And that, that's why I've got a soft spot for it. For now, you know, for all the, the, the kind of piss taking we're doing, I do have a genuine soft spot for this film because it just take me back to a particular time in my life where it just, it's, it's, I think it's everything that surrounds the film rather than the film for me. Yeah. I mean, you critique the film, you realise it's pretty bad. Oh, it's barely a film. <laughs> yes. It's, um... Well, I wouldn't go that far. It's 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 a series of Hulk Hogan scenes loosely strung together by a plot. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say there was a plot. Oh, I use quotation marks, but I <laughs> yeah. always forget that you can't see them with audio. <laughs> no, there is a plot to be fair, and it, it pulls on a lot of those those as I say those eighties tropes about honor, and you know somebody who is is not willing to give up their their sort of honor for money and things like that you know it's he's, he's a he all he cares about is charity work brother he's a man of his word you know and uh, and the, the very disappointing thing was i remember a few years later um when i was a bit older and um i think it was i think i'd hide it again or I'd, somehow I'd, I'd got to see it i don't know if it was on a streaming thing or well the sky or something like that and I thought, right, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to play like a, a drinking game with it. And every time he says, brother, I'm going to have a drink. And he fucking says it once. It's like... Oh, God, you didn't do it with Rip. <laughs> oh, if I'd have done it with Rip, I'd have been in hospital. You know what <laughs> I mean? <He's> dead. <laughs> First five minutes. fucking gay life. But it was like, yeah, he says it once. And I'm yeah. like, what's going on here? You know, they're probably going, don't say brother. Oh, don't say brother, because that'll take people out of the reality of the movie. And make them realise you're not Rip, you're actually Hulk Hogan. Well, that's kind of the weird thing is why didn't they just do it as a fictionalised version of Hulk Hogan? Because he's basically Hulk. His main move is to rip his shirt open, which is the yeah. Hulk thing. It's just it's that, that you weird might as well have just called him Hulk. And... Yeah, it does do that weird hand thing though, which I don't, I still don't know what that actually is meant to mean. It does have this weird hand gesture. Well, yeah, it's like he's... a thumbs up and a hang ten rip mixed up. together, rip isn't it? Up. And he's just kind of like, you know, it's almost like a kind of... Um, it's like Spider-Man, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like the wrong yeah. way around. Arthritis, I'm not sure. <laughs> but 
it's this weird, like, clammy hand thing. And when I was watching it again for this, I was thinking, I still don't know what he's doing with that hand. You know what no. I mean? It makes no sense. And then they all start doing it. And you're like, oh, I fucking don't understand any of that now. Because, you know, who knows? Who knows? I'm sure somewhere it means something, but... Well, it's it's like one of them said they wanted to do Hang 10, the other one said they wanted to do Thumbs Up, and they're just like, just mash the two together, do them both. <laughs> just do monkey claw. <laughs> you know, <that'll> be. <laughs> so when did you first see it? When was your first introduction? Uh, when you said you wanted to <laughs> do it for this podcast. I'm pretty sure I did see it, because I got into wrestling around 1991. Right. And then I remember watching Suburban Commando. I'm sure there's bits of this film that I remember, so I'm sure I must have seen it as a kid, but it didn't have aliens or Christopher Lloyd or a big gun. So I kind of, I always gravitated more towards Suburban Commando. Yeah. Or Mr. Nanny. That's actually not, not the worst film. I've I've only seen that once, Mr. Nanny. And I think I've seen Thunder in Paradise once. And I think I've seen some of the TV series, but my, my cinematic journey with Hulk doesn't go very far. I must have. (laughs) No, but that's what I did quite like about this film is it did remind me of that time when I got into wrestling. Yeah, because I've tried watching wrestling again now and it's just so slick and polished. Not to say it wasn't slick and polished then, but it just had that. It felt more down to earth. Yeah, and I think you're right. And and it was um, it was a different time, quite literally about you know, less of the realism and more of the kind of superhero over the top kind of ridiculous characters and storylines. But now it's it's a bit too clever for it. And I think part of the problem as well now is that, you know, obviously the whole kayfabe thing has gone. So unless you live in kind of butt crack, you know, Alabama, yeah. you, you know that wrestling isn't real. Um, you know, real in the sense it hurts and people get hurt. Yeah, but you know, it is um, predetermined, and it is it is you know rehearsed and stuff. But back then, there was always a question mark around it, you know. And I knew, even though I knew it wasn't real, because I was reading kind of like things like Pro Wrestling Illustrated and things like that. Um, and you start to think, actually, that doesn't make sense, then because you know you'd watch and you know you'd have somebody like Mister Perfect who was undefeated. Yeah, and then you'd be reading this, and they have all the match results from all the house shows they did and the dark matches. And you're like, hang on, so how come Hogan pinned him three times in <laughs> in this state and two times? And it, so you start to sense that there was something not quite right. Um, but it it did have that element where you could believe some of this stuff. You know, you could believe that Jake the Snake was genuinely blinded by Rick Martel spraying this cologne in his eyes. You could yeah. believe. That you know the snake bite that you know from the Tuesday in Texas that um, that again Jake Roberts does to Macho Man was you know poisonous snake and you did believe that Andre the Giant had a heart attack when you know again Jake the Snake went in with 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 Damien the Python and you know you could dis sort of suspend your disbelief to enjoy it whereas now you can't you know unless no. you're about seven. I don't think you would now. And I that... don't think you would at that age. I mean, I was 11, 12 when I got mm. into wrestling. So, like, The Undertaker was supernatural to me. The way he yeah. fucking... It's like, oh, he's out, and then he just sit up. Yeah. That was fucking chilling. And brilliantly done but at the as well. So, same time, the most exciting thing that was about to happen. You're like, oh, somebody's fucked me. Yeah. But obviously being 12, yeah. it wasn't dropping that, the F-bombs. Yeah, and 
you know, they had all that stuff like, you know, there was there's a guy called Papa Shango who was a voodoo. Yeah. Uh, you know, and putting curses on people and then vomiting up green slime and and it was you you did sit there going like fucking hell, you know, what's going on here? And a little bit of the back of your mind was like, This is this really like rigged or is this is there a little bit of something in it, you know? Well, like I say, for and, the longest time as a kid, I wouldn't have it that it was fake. Or mm. that it was script, not fake so much, but it was a scripted thing. It was predetermined yeah. who would win. Yeah. Kind of thing. So I bought into all that stuff. Like I say, The Undertaker, Tatonka with his, when he started doing something, you're like, oh, you know you're fucked now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved the character of Tatonka, and then they made him evil, and he started losing. Yeah. And again... Look, looking back, so Tatanka was a basically Native American yeah. um, character, and they ended up having him being bought out by Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. That's right, and 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 they they did that kind of buying out of minorities trope quite a few times. I mean, he, he bought um, he bought Hercules as a slave from Bobby Heenan once, and then he then you know he had Virgil, who was a, a, a kind of African American guy as his kind of valet and and treated him like a servant and you know and, and when you look back there is there are a few troublesome yeah. um, <laughs> things that at the time you remember thinking mm, I'm not so sure about that you know making the junk da- junkyard dog wear a chain when he came <laughs> to the ring and and yeah because he was he, he was in a junkyard and you're like yeah I'm not so sure about having having an African American guy wearing a big chain to the ring yeah, really it's- Subtlety wasn't there. (laughs) But as I say with other things, you have to, it's okay watching it now and and kind of looking at it through, you know, through the fingers of your hand and going, don't know about that. But you've got to look at it in the context it was done. And, you know, it it was not wishing to in any way try and condone anything. It was done, I think, with more innocence than than if somebody did that today. Yeah, no, I don't think there was a malicious thing in it. It it was the theatrics of it, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I imagine again, not defending it, but I imagine a lot of the thought process would probably be, and it'd be really cool. He's called Junkyard Dogs. So I'm giving him a chain. Yeah, but I don't imagine that any other kind of you know connotations that that would bring up even occur to him, rightly or wrongly. No. <laughs> but like no. you say, it's it's a piece of its time as well, and I know you can't wipe everything away with you know it's a piece of its time, but. Like I said, I don't think it was done with any malicious intent. No, and it's a bit like this film because there are certain, as I say, certain set pieces in this film that you know you kind of think. Hmm. There's there's one particular one that that is an eighties trope, which we'll come on to a little bit later. This this but, film's horribly problematic towards women. Yes, the few women that are even in it. Yeah, but the treatment of the female characters, from the one in the board meeting at the beginning to um, Joan Severance's character. Mm. It's just shockingly bad how they're treated, even yeah, by and again, standards to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. But again, you know, when you look at the world that these people came from, that that kind of macho wrestling world, and knowing about, you know, some of the ideas that Vince McMahon had for for moving the WWF WWE forward, yeah, that didn't follow through with. You know, there's a lot of him in this film, and a lot of his, I think, his views. You know, let's not forget he's. He's good friends with uh, Mr. Drumpf, um, the president. And, you know, there's a lot of that kind of um, misogynistic 
kind of approach to things unfortunately oh yeah 100 percent. it's um, a it's a boys locker room club isn't it it's yeah yeah, and you know. again, if it was Hulk and him in a room, hotel room writing it, you can imagine the conversations. Yes, and but... you can only imagine that most eighties films actually had the same problems as well. So yeah. it wasn't even like it stood out. I mean, if somebody did this now, you'd be like, "Fuck it, you can't do that." But at the time, you know, there were well, yeah, that's it. Everybody was doing it. It was the norm. common themes, weren't they? You know, and, and again, sadly. not not writing that off as a acceptable mm-hmm. thing but it was at the time yeah but but yeah so yeah there's some legitimately crazy stuff in this yeah. legitimately bonkers this movie the whole thing in the diner where they travel back <laughs> i i loved it and i was like that hit the damage he does must cost more than they possibly could have taken from the till yeah so I'm well, not sure he did him any favours. So for anyone that's not seen it, and I do urge you to, unfortunately it's not streamed anywhere other than Amazon um, in the States. So if you've got a yeah, VPN... I think, can... I think it's on YouTube, but I don't know what the quality yeah. of it is like on YouTube, and it's probably not an official release on YouTube, so cool. we're not endorsing that. But you can get it no. dirt cheap on DVD. I had to buy yeah. the DVD. I think it was like three or four quid. And it is worth a watch, because it is, even if it's just to say you've watched it, you yeah. know, and experienced it. Um but yeah, they go to a diner because they're going on a it's a business trip, isn't it? So yeah. um he's got this new um executive um what's she's she's in charge of his kind of image rights. And, and yeah, stuff, and she like his publicist manager or whatever it is. So she's taking him to a fancy restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... and she's called Samantha. And she's actually called Samantha N. Moore. But they, yeah. they introduce her as Samantha N. Moore, you know, as though there's more to her. And you're just thinking like, oh, God, you know, Samantha and more. It's like, yeah. And that scene, just to go back a step, the scene when they do introduce, <laughs> I've made me notes here, the scene where they introduce her, she's trying to talk to uh, this, this group of kind of execs about what they're going to do with Rip's image and how they can improve sales and things like that. Because there's very much a capitalist view to this. It's all yeah. about money and making money. And she's coming up with these ideas. And all the way through it, She's at one end of this long table and, and um, rips at the other end of the table. And he just does this series of terrible, like Peter Butterworth carry on faces, doesn't he? Where every time she moves, he's kind of like, <laughs> it's just like, oh my Christ. It just, it's cringy, isn't it? It's there's, really there's one bad. piece of Hulk face reacting that I'll come to later on. It's just. <laughs> It's it is like carry on up the squared circle. It's just <laughs> terrible, terrible. Um, so yeah, they they so they have to go off on a a business trip, and and he decides to take her to this restaurant stroke cafe. That, yeah, you know, it's, it's it's a diner, isn't it? It's like your classic yeah. American. And again, anyone that may know anything about Vince McMahon and will know that if there's food there's going to be a food fight. And this is what, you know, if you read Jim Ross's books or anything like that, everyone will tell you he's got an obsession with food fights. Vince And he thinks it's hilarious if there's a food fight. So of course they're in this diner and, um, these two kind of, uh, what is it? Two or three guys come in with guns to hold three. The I think. And he disarms them initially by, um, slowly telling everyone to get on the floor. 
which is like, you know, so you got guys pointing guns ready to hold the thing up, but he's good. Everybody, get on the floor, get on the floor. He's like, yeah, um, we're holding up, mate, not you. <laughs> and then he disarms them by throwing food at them um, for a while before he goes over and kicks the shit out of them and completely totals this diner, completely destroys it, like you say. Absolutely. There is nothing left uh, of, of any kind of value. And they're all thanking him and applauding him. And he's like, yeah, you know, that's that's just the way I roll kind of thing. And you're like, you've ruined this diner. You've got, even if he pays for it, Robin, they're going to be out of business for a while. Yeah, they'd have probably got about $50 and change. And you've caused like thousands of pounds worth of damage. That's it. He and trashes most of the tables. He drags oh. the guy across the counter, wiping everything out. He throws him to the back, destroying whatever's behind the counter. Yeah. And he wasted all that food. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you could just imagine Vince McMahon absolutely pissing himself behind the camera. Yeah, why they're throwing food around? It's the str- The more you watch this, and the more that you, over the years, you learn what happened with the WWFWE, the direction it went in, the, some of the the storylines that they did, some of the things that Vince McMahon did in his business life. It's all in here. It's like a blueprint for what he was going to do for the next twenty years, basically. Yeah, and it's it makes you wonder how many times he went back and you know, replayed some of the stuff they did and thought, actually, I'll take that bit now and we'll do that as a, you know, as a trope within the wrestling world. So, yeah, but yeah, they're shitting yourself, they're throwing food, they're two big, big Vinnie K um, ticks so far. There's more to come yet. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, because then, then we get to the hotel where we've got the, uh, oh, we've <laughs> only got one room with one oh. bed. Always happens, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It's, it's a nightmare. Like the amount of times this happened to me, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So um, yeah. So they get to the the hotel and they have to share one room. Um, and one and bed. As, as, Rip, as Rip points out, your guy's book made the booking. You know, and he's <laughs> innocent, isn't he? As he's doing his Peter Butterworth <laughs> kind of face, you know. Um, but, but he's a gentleman. That... He splits the room in two with a sheet, like the biggest fucking sheet. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know where that came from. And I, and I still can't work out how he actually managed to get that sheet like up between yeah. the, the two halves of the bed. Because it's, you know, it's it's a bit like a, a sort of, um, it's almost like a Darren Brown type mentalist trick. You know, you're like, how does the sheet stay up? You it's know? amazing what you can do when your if pants it, are that tight. Yeah, but I mean, if he was about 14, you, you could imagine why the sheet was stood up solid like that, you know, because <laughs> to be fair... <laughs> Walked in one room with a, a lovely young lady, you know. I mean, but you just think, how did that? And he did it so quick as well. He was, he was quick as a cat, wasn't he? And and again, another another thing with this is that obviously um, Samantha is in the bathroom, and so she's made it very clear there'll be no monkey business going on. Thank you very much, you know. To which he gets quite offended because he's a gentleman and he only cares about charity, you know. Um, and then she pops round um, with just a bra on, yeah. <laughs> which is like, well, that's a bit. Bit of mixed message in there, you know. Um, and then there's a bit of a rom com moment between them. And but again, one of the interesting things that took me right back is that only in 80s films and particularly 80s kind of horror films or action films, she comes out of the bathroom, she's got this brown and like this massive pair of like silky French knickers. Yeah, and I've never seen anyone wear knickers like that. In anything else other than horror films in the 80s, you know, because they all had them. And 
you know, they they, they don't even they, they don't look good, do they? They're like it's about like three foot of silk and another foot of lace. And it's, and it's like thought, something you'd imagine your nan would wear. It looks awesome. Yeah, yeah. But it's just and it that took me back thinking you don't see them anymore, do you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they they get on their separate sides of the bed and we're on Samantha's side, and then suddenly yes. the bed starts going up and down. Aye aye. Which is a build-up for the... Is he knocking one out? Well, but he's know, not she's knocking one out. She's a sexy French nick, isn't she? You know. <laughs> Just hocks the other side of the sheet, smashing one out. <laughs> I've been seeing a cheeky bit of her bra and her big pants. <laughs> which her pants are bigger than his are. They are, to be fair. I wasn't sure he had pants on at first. No, I um, wasn't. <laughs> but he does. Um, you know, he has some little tighty, tighties on, doesn't he? You know? Yeah. And then but, she she peeps over the uh, the the incredibly erected sheet, should we call it? Because she's repulsed by the idea that he's clearly smashing one out. She's going to have a look anyway. Um, it's either that or he's dry humping the bed. <laughs> but he's not doing either of those things. No, <laughs> well, what is he doing though? Because when she looks, all we see are two round um, skin mounds that that you know we think. That's buttocks. It's clearly buttocks. And credit where credit's due. It's a very fine pair of buttocks. It is a very fine pair of buttocks. Um, <laughs> you see he's got a Veruca on one. And, <laughs> and you realise what it is, is he actually, he's doing press-ups off the bed and they're the heels of his feet. Phew. <laughs> what a relief. That was, you know, you just think he's not not uh, knocking one out. He's, he's doing his exercises. Why he's doing exercises when he's going to bed, because that's a rookie error. And you think he'd know better being a professional sports entertainer than get himself all worked up before he goes to bed. But, you know. That's a very definition of a scene, of an idea that was constructed backwards. It's like we want him to think that he's masturbating. Yeah. But what could he actually be doing? It's like he's doing push-ups on the bed. Because that's a normal thing that people do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm always doing it. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. Nightmare for it. She wakes up in the night saying, you're doing push-ups? Yeah, like, no, I'm just having a quick wank. It's all right. Oh, okay. <laughs> as long as you're not but, doing uh, push-ups. Yeah, I'm not doing fucking push-ups. I'm in my back. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, it's not, 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 not a great scene, that, is it? It doesn't really... It, that whole bedroom scene doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't, it doesn't add to any of the, uh, the plot other than um, she upsets him by basically accusing him of being a bit of a perv when he, he inexplicably, after he's done his push-ups and he stands up and shows everyone his tight, little tight pants for a minute, um, he throws himself on the bed yeah. and it collapses. Oh, and she rolls on top of him. Oh, Like a fucking quiet. petulant teenager, he throws himself on the bed. He does. He, like, he proper throws himself down, doesn't he? You know what I mean? And that's, that's all those years of wrestling training for you, isn't it? That's yeah. it. That's... But it, yeah, it does like... no good because he has to end up sleeping on the couch in the lobby or wherever yeah. it is he ends up. <laughs> because again, in his he pants, he's done it on purpose. Well, he, he does put shorts on if you remember when he leaves. He, he doesn't just go out. That's right. Like, he's not. He's not an animal. You know. Sorry. After that, all I saw was those pants. I think you're a bit obsessed with those pants, Stuart. To be I think fair, we all are. you should see oh. my fan art. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, it is interesting. Her pants were bigger than his. I thought of that. Yeah. It would have been better if he was wearing a big pair of French knickers as well. That would have been interesting for the time. Yeah. 
It would have been different. Yeah. It would have been bold, but... But yeah, it's a... Yeah, it adds nothing. And then when you find out later that she was supposed to seduce him, and that's why they'd only booked the one room with the one bed. Makes no sense at all, then. No, because there's nothing in that scene where she's even trying to seduce him. She was not on board with that plan at all, so you don't need the scene. It does nothing. No, she's not trying to seduce him. He's not really trying to seduce her, to be fair to him. No. You know, Um, because she does look like she could give you a right kick in if she wanted to. She does look a bit mean, doesn't she? Um, so yeah, it's just a I don't know. I think it was just like you say, it was an excuse. So we need we need a masturbation joke in here somewhere. Like, we, we need a we scene the shit, bra. Had the food fight. We need the French knickers. That's and it. we need a, a fake master, a faux faux masturbation sort that's of it. scene. Um, but, and there you go. So yeah, we're on our way here. That's that's not bad. Not bad. But yeah, and then it goes back, and then we've got the awful scene where she's attacked in the car oh, park. Yeah. So again, this is this is the thing I was talking about about um I've talked about this on, on on my podcast where we did um movies and videos and stuff and I was saying I don't know what it was with the eighties particularly, late seventies and eighties, but every, nearly every film you watched that wasn't like Disney or something or had Rick Moranis in it, had some kind of weird sexual assault or threat of a sexual assault in it somewhere. Yeah. It's it was a really common trope, wasn't it? And Nine times out of ten, it didn't. You know, like you know, I suppose in Death Wish, you could argue, well, it kind of served the, the the plot because that's obviously you know what what kicks it all off, as as horrible as a plot um, thread as it might be. But in most of them, it was just it was almost like just throw it. Oh, let's just have a bit of a you know bit of a sexual assault bit here because that'll up the ante a bit. And it's just again completely unnecessary. It doesn't do anything other than. Like maybe wind rip up a little bit more because he knows Brel's behind it. Well, see, but, it's done to sort of give him a hero moment. But it's just there's so many different things you could do to give him that hero moment kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's like we already know he's a stand-up guy. He didn't try and seduce her in the hotel room. He didn't take advantage or anything like that. Yeah, and it's so badly done as well because there's several things. One is that so basically. Um, Samantha pulls into this underground car park and she's getting all her stuff to go to the office. And she's she's just told Brel that she won't um, basically, you know, seduce um, Rip and get him to sign for the, the World Television Network because he's a nice guy and all he cares about is charity, brother. So um, he kind of says, right, I'll teach you then. I'll have you assaulted which because obviously that's that's you know the first thing that you would think isn't it in a rational world well i mean that's how every hr meeting i've ever been in's gone well yeah i can imagine it does um <laughs> but i can't say anything because i work with hr so i'm i'm, I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm taking the uh, the fifth on that one <laughs> Being the fifth, but, yeah. um but yeah so essentially there's this guy appears and he's going to try and do what he was going to do to her and, and there's a bit of blouse rippage and it's nothing too graphic thankfully but the intent and the unnecessary intent is there and then rip comes along on his motorbikes first time we've seen his chopper which is quite good although we nearly saw his chopper in those little pants didn't we to be fair <laughs> um and then he comes in and he saves the day by chasing the guy down on his motorbike. But the thing that freaked me out, right, there's two things. One, one when he stops by her, where she's first initially had the, the bit of an assault and he, he kind of says, you okay? She's, she's, she's just a bit disheveled and upset. And then he goes off on the bike and he really enjoys chasing this guy on the bike. Yeah. 
he spends too long chasing the guy on the bike and going back and chasing him a bit more and then smiling yeah, that, and laughing. That smacks of Hulk being like, I just want to ride my bike today. Can yeah, you work that into the movie? Your mate's just, she's over there in the garage where she's been assaulted. And, you know, can, can you maybe not laugh and smile while you're on your bike chasing this bloke? I think that's the thing that's more problematic about that scene than the actual yeah. assault. So like you say, the assault isn't as full on as it, it, it is done in a lot of other 80s movies. Mm. Kind of thing. Because I'm sexual assault depicted in films is one of my buttons. I just it can turn me off of a film kind of thing. Yeah. But um yeah, it's the gleeful way that he's enjoying chasing the guy down. Yeah. Yeah. Which and to be it's fair, not like it's a, you know, oh you've just tried to assault my friend. It's a oh I'm really fucking enjoying this. It's a chance to beat yeah. the shit out of somebody. Wait. Yeah. And he, he actually um gets the guy by riding up his arse on his yeah. bike. So it's like a hood <laughs> ornament and then driving him into a tree. Um so that's that's you know, an amusing end. Uh, and then he goes back to console uh, Samantha, who's lying there, still dishevelled, but now strangely covered in, like, grease or something and mud. And, and if you watch the two scenes, it's really strange because at one point she's, like, not. And then when you go back, she looks like she's been rolling around on the floor face yeah. first. And you're like, oh, that's that's new. So, um, yeah, a little bit of continuity there, which is one of the things that upsets me with films. You know, the <laughs> The watch or the, the glass that's empty, half empty, empty, half empty, full. That that really upsets me. Stuff like um, that always reminds me of... Did you ever watch Touch of Cloth, the Charlie Brooker spoof detective thing that was on no, Skull? No. There's a, there's a bit with John Hanna where he's having a rant and he's like, it cuts away from him and then it cuts back and he's suddenly got a beard then it cuts away and it cuts back and he's got a different shirt on but the beard's gone <laughs> and then he's got a moustache. And the guy turns around to him and goes... Boss, boss, calm down. Your continuity's all over the place. He goes, I haven't got time for continuity. Love it. It's just any Love bad that. continuity makes that scene pop into my head. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. So, yeah, that is problematic, that scene. It is for, for different reasons. And it, again, doesn't really serve any purpose. They could have, if the whole point of that was to make Rip angry, they could have found a million ways of doing it. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, they do find another way of doing it. Um, a bit later on with uh, poor old Randy, you know, poor guy. Well, yeah, because he can enjoy his friend potentially nearly being sexually assaulted, but you beat his brother up. Yeah. It's, it's a step and, too far. Yeah, it's terrible. He's not going to so, laugh about that. Well, he doesn't, does he? You know, as we'll find out. We haven't really him. even touched on Zeus. <laughs> no, we haven't. Well, we well, so, haven't got to uh, Zeus. Um it, it sort of petters through, doesn't it? Because um, Kurt Fuller decides to set up his own wrestling federation that's he, he discovers in a dingy bar where there's oh. no holds barred fighting. Yeah. Which yeah. we've all been in a bar like that. Not necessarily like that, but, you know, with the you swim in the toilets kind of set up and you're just kind of afraid to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It, it's quite interesting um, because the kind of um, the toilets are. The the kind of I I wrote down that it's the worst toilets since train spotting. Yeah. You know, they really are grim, aren't they? And they go to this bar, um, which is really, really horrible. You know, it is a terrible, terrible place. And it's quite interesting because you've got a guy in there, the main guy who who kind of plays the the brother of the, the woman who runs the bar. That's that's a famous wrestler called Stan Hansen, 
who was known for being a bit of a loose cannon in his time as well. So that's why he's actually quite good in that scene, you know, playing a bit of a hillbilly lunatic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they go to this wrestling bar and it is just dreadful. It's a dreadful place. It's a dreadful setup. And it's just, it's a bit like if anybody knows about ECW uh, wrestling, which was, you know, extreme wrestling, where they would just basically beat the shit out of each other, genuinely beat the shit out of each other with with barbed wire wrapped um, baseball bats and stuff like that. You know, um, there was like n- nothing. Actually, there was no rules at all. So, yeah, he gets an idea, doesn't he, that he's going to take this new kind of level of violence and, and sport um pre-ufc by the way <laughs> yeah. in an octagon strangely um and set up his own uh wrestling challenge which will be uh is it battle of the tough guys i think he calls yeah it. it's something like that isn't it yeah Where they basically fight in steel mills and <laughs> yeah yeah there's quite a lot of um there's quite a lot of rocky tropes come in around this stuff as well when yeah. you watch it um, so yeah, so they set up this this event that they're going to put on called Battle of the Tough Guys. I think it's called something like that. It's something really bad, anyway. I think it is Battle of the Tough Guys. Yeah, and there's a there's a hundred thousand dollar reward for anyone who survives. You know, so basically it's like a winner stays on pool kind of tournament, yeah. but where you beat the shit out of each other, and you can you can there's no rules essentially. So that all the referee does is come and declare the winner. And there, you know, it's the typical kind of character. So you've got someone called Rock Chiseler, which I think was a really good good name. Uh, Bulldog McPherson and Klondike Kramer. You know, these are you know they put a lot of time and effort into these characters, um, as you can tell. And there's a whole series of dodgy fights and, and people getting thrown across tables and shit like that. And then Zeus appears. Oof. I mean, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what a beast. You know, he kind of... Does he Does he knock down a big metal wall? Yeah, when he it's like that up? bit in Robocop where he... <laughs> I thought he did. Yeah. Because there's whole little bits in this film where they're kind of like... I oh, remember that bit in Cobra where they're in the like steel mill and they're clanking the metal together. Yeah. Where it's the fucking cult of killers kind of thing in Cobra. It's like, let's do that with the steel mill bit. And then yeah. Zeus's entrance could be like Robocop where he comes into the fucking... Cocaine factory in the movie, yeah. And again, going going back to modern days, you know, if you look at since the lockdown, where the WWE's been doing the kind of big showpiece events, they've been doing these set pieces in things like you know um, underground wrestling kind of tournaments, and you know doing them in graveyards and doing them in set pieces like they did in this film, basically in the steel mill, and there's one in a train kind of um, factory in there or something, yeah. You kind of think again, yeah. He's got. You can see where he's gone back and thought, "We'll just do something we did like thirty years ago, yeah. and, and film it." Um. So yeah, Zeus appears. Tommy Tiny Lister, who, uh, you know, the, the tiny's ironic because he's about nine foot tall, and he, yeah. you know, he is a, he is a big bastard, isn't he? When you look at him, uh, ex-con. That's it. As well. Killed a guy in a wrestling match, didn't he? he killed a guy after a wrestling. Or after match. a wrestling he won match. Won the match. Yeah. And he still killed him in the ring because he's a badass. You know what I mean? And he has a Z shaved in his head. (laughs) Now mind your bat signal. And he's got half an eyebrow. He's got like like a monobrow. 
And it looks like his his right eyebrows crawled across his face to join the left one, but left a space where it used to be. It's a very strange, strange look in it. It's like he lost it. They sort of like transported it across and just like, that <laughs> And it, it's like at one point it looks like he's got a moustache and then he doesn't. <laughs> then he yeah, yeah, there's there's some issues with that. And um he's a funny looking guy, to be fair. You know, he has like you know, one one scanning eye, doesn't he? Which yeah. is quite unnerving, um, and he's yeah, but he comes in and he spends his entire <laughs> his entire screen time in this scene and a few other scenes where he's fighting, literally just roaring, rah rah. <laughs> it's like fucking Frankenstein's monster, isn't he? in tinfoil. He just goes like rah rah. It's like, That's it. He's sure. got... Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's a, he's an interesting character. <laughs> but yeah, it's, the weird it's thing just... was, I was watching Jackie Brown the other day, and he's in that. Yeah, he's been in a few things actually. Yeah, because he's in The Dark Knight as well. Because it was um, but yeah, he popped up in Jackie Brown. I was like, is that fucking Tiny Lister? Because yeah. he's um Robert Forrester's like heavy in the um bail bonds office. Yeah, yeah. And it's quite interesting because it again it it did have a bit of a rocky thing to it where you know you could tell that you know you had Rip who was the the world champion and everybody loved him and he was you know all clean cutness and then you had the the kind of like the club of Lang equivalent which was Zeus <laughs> that was you know coming up from the streets and a real real hard nut and you know dangerous because he literally had like no limits to what he would do. To win, he's, he's so, basically yeah. Dolph Lundgren from uh, Rocky Four, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, there is. I've, I've written down Rocky Four a bit further on when they actually have the fight um, at the end. It, it does, it, it does smack of Rocky Four, doesn't it? But yeah, he roars his way through victory. I think most people through the matches because it's like fucking hell, just shut up. I'll, I'll look, just pin me because yeah, you know, I'm sick of you roaring at me. It's all he does. It is annoying, isn't it? It's proper a while like about three seconds he's, he's not a well-developed character <laughs> no but, and he must have a sore throat after all that that's it and like you say they tried to bring him into the wwf didn't they yeah on the back with, of this with the he wasn't happy that he'd lost a hulk in the movie he could beat him in real life thing which led to the no holds barred the match the movie um that's it. and it, apparently if if no holds barred would have actually been a bigger hit uh he was gonna actually face Hulk Hogan in the main At event WrestleMania, of WrestleMania 6. Yeah. yeah, which obviously, thankfully, didn't happen. And we ended up with the classic uh, Ultimate Warrior Hulk Hogan Battle of the Champions instead. So, yeah, history could have been very different indeed. Well, yeah, because yeah, Tony Lister's an actor. He's not a wrestler. <laughs> he's not a wrestler. And when you read Although they did people... bring him into WCW, didn't they, when Hulk moved over to there for a bit? They did, and he was terrible there as well. Yeah. But you, re- you read everyone... Uh, sorry, you read people that work with him in the wrestling ring saying he's, he had no fucking idea, like, what to do. He had no idea at all. He had no idea about selling moves. He had no idea that, you know, it takes two people to do a lot of these moves. Yeah. So they had to find ways of cleverly um, writing him out of the match. So he makes his, his appearance in Survivor Series um, 89, where he's on the Million Dollar Man's team, and they introduce him. And he basically comes to the ring and him and Hogan face off. And it's it's basically two groups of four wrestlers who fight each other until there's only, you know, one team is completely eliminated. 
And because he was so bad, apparently, they couldn't actually get to do anything. They they had to have the setup so that he just chokes Hulk Hogan at the beginning of the match. And because he won't stop choking him, he gets disqualified and they throw him out. So he's only in there for about two minutes. Yeah. And and that was the only way they could see of getting him in in the actual event so they could build up to the no holes barred and out again because he couldn't do anything, you know. Um because it is at the end of the day, you know, it is a skillful profession despite oh, what it's a very think. skillful professional profession. Like yeah. I say, to to sell the believability on it, it's um well, it's, John Cena's always been very open about how much is actually involved in doing those fights because if you get it anything slightly off you can kill a guy <laughs> yeah and there's no wrestling when you watch the um, the movie he doesn't actually do any wrestling he just basically punches a lot of people and chops a lot of people yeah and then and there's a lot of chasing them. them around like a benny hill thing at the end isn't there in the <laughs> final fight <laughs> oh, oh i wish there'd been benny hill musical that's what that film needs so, just a supercut that would be so good but... like a snyder cut with with benny hill they could refilm bits of it. <laughs> but yeah, so Zeus's popularity sort of rises, doesn't it? To the and now all he wants to do is fight Hulk Hogan. He wants yeah. to fight Rip, so he goes to a Rip charity event and yeah. basically tells him if he doesn't fight him, he's a coward. And instead of Rip being like, I don't need this shit, all the kids turn on Rip. <laughs> okay. Bottler. Yeah, but, he's it, and again, it, it harks back to Rocky Three in two senses. One in where they're doing a TV interview, and and this is where um, Zeus actually has some lines, and he he sort of he says something like "Rip," I, you know, "I want you" or something. And that's it. Which is obviously a throwback to the Club of Lang, you know. Yeah. And you can run, but you can't hide, Balboa. You know, it's a brilliant, brilliant scene now. And then the other bit, which is mirrored, where they're unveiling the Rocky statue at the top of the steps, and and Balboa appears in the crowd and calls him out and it's like you know it talks to adrian going you know why don't you come back with me i'll show you what a real man can do and i absolutely adore rocky three as terrible as it is it's a brilliant film for for the way that um they handled that that whole character and this is very much you can tell this is just ripping that off you know literally the the kind of um the look of how they they get the two characters to face each other and the dilemma that rip has because you know yeah, he's there for his charity on the day you know and he's a little bit scared of this guy i think you can see it in his eyes a little bit like rocky's scared of of club alang and and another throwback where charlie um, rip's trainer saying you did the right thing by not taking him up on on the offer and that reminds me of, of the great mickey scene with rocky where he's like you know you're a bum you're always been a bum you know we've been protecting you for years by getting you to fight other bums and it's this thing about yeah charlie knows that he'll probably rip your head off as well yeah and it's just it, it, that i do actually like that bit of the film i think it's actually quite well constructed in so much as it does what it needs to do yeah uh, it sets up this this dilemma that Rip has about, you know, does he fight him? Should he fight him? Should he not fight him? Because all you're doing is you're allowing somebody to bully you into a position you, you don't really want to be in. Because he's not earned the right to fight for a title and things like that. Yeah. You know, he's not he's not a wrestler. He's just a thug, basically. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to make sure the kids he leads by example. But, and the kids just go... Boo! <laughs> you fucking bottler. <laughs> so, kind of Which he handles better than me because I'd be like, "Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you!" All that money I just gave you, give it back. Add a body slammed him. Damn <laughs> that, you little fucker. 
which is why I lost yeah. that charity job. But well, it was, yeah, yeah, and that's why I can't go within regards of uh, school sports days now. That's it. <laughs> well, I was like to know they couldn't take a power bomb. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not very often. They shouldn't have been dressed like that if they didn't want to well, fight. Wait, you know, I'm sorry. If you're gonna, if you're gonna start calling shit. You're gonna pay. You know what I mean? That's it. I don't care if you're seven or eight. <laughs> you call down the thunder. <laughs> Hey, yeah. brother. <laughs> but in fairness to Rip, he doesn't cave. It, it takes that one little extra push to get him in the ring. And what a push. And what a push. Randy's Damn. shining moment. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Randy. <laughs> the, the scene that the makers of Dexter watched and went, that guy, him. That guy could play an ex-con drug addict. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so basically they... I can't remember the the bit where how does he agree to fight him? Doesn't remember. he he goes to his gym, doesn't he? And it's that weird enter the dragon kind of thing where he's smashing oh, mirrors because yeah. he keeps seeing him in him. Yeah, the, the man from the golden gun. That yeah. that great, you know, where uh, Zeus is stood in front of a mirror. Quite obviously, he is stood in front of a mirror, and then Rip throws a, a barbell or something through the mirror, and he's not there. It was That's a projection. It. It's, you know? it's like that enter the dragon kind of. Yeah, mashed together kind of thing, and just done shit. <laughs> yeah, and you've got that weird tape playing where Zeus is clearly being hypnotized into, <laughs> which you don't need because he already hated Rip. Yes, why is he being brainwashed as well? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, uh, but there's something else that occurs, isn't there? A bit is it? I can't remember what it is. There's something else that triggers them actually facing off. Anyway, whatever it is, it's fucking that good. We've both forgotten about it. I only watched it the other day. Um, so the, the fight's set. They're going to fight. That's it. That's it. And so Brent in order in to... his wheelchair. And... No, no, before that, though, Randy goes to, to spy on Zeus, doesn't he? To yeah, and he gets caught there. Yeah, and of course, Randy gets caught. Randy and his mate. I don't even know what his mate's called. You know, Randy's mate, I think. Yeah, he's... other Randy. And does that great thing you'd want your mate to do because they don't recognise Randy until his mate goes, he's Rip's brother. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Cheers for that. That ranks up there with. Have you ever seen the Jean Claude Van Damme Street Fighter movie? No, no. He's got Raul Julia's got all these hostages, and then um, Jean Claude Van Damme in a news broadcast calls one out by name because he's his friend, which then just tips <laughs> off Raul Julia to be like. Huh, he's got a buddy here. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> he wouldn't have known. Why? <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I do love that. When I watched it, I'm like, fuck it. I'd be like, oh, for, thanks, mate. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so of course, <laughs> Zeus kicks the shit out of Randy's brother. Um, uh, sorry, Rip's brother, Randy. Which I must admit, he's had it coming, hasn't he? Yeah. You know, he's a little dick. And it just deserved a kick in. I was thinking, he's that obnoxious but, little kid that's got a tough mate, isn't it? And he's, he's too soft... bulletproof till he's on his own. Yeah, and he's <laughs> and he's just soft as shit because he only. I think he punches him once and kicks him, and he's in a fucking wheelchair with like a <laughs> neck brace on. It's like that's because where there's blame, there's a claim. Yeah, <laughs> so he kicks his brother in, um, 
and then Rip, Rip's in the hospital and his brother's <laughs> there's this great thing in there his brother's in like full kind of semi-comatose mode with the neck I love the neck brace <laughs> I do like a neck brace anyway I always find it disproportionately amusing when I see somebody in a neck brace you know and I shouldn't but I just do and I can't resist doing the old turn into it going brace yourself <laughs> <laughs> So he's in this net, he's in the hospital bed and Rip's there and he's crying because, you know, and we see some good acting here, don't we, really, from, from Rip, you know, Hulk Hogan. For this really film, yeah. <laughs> You know, he, he has the, the crying going and, and, you know, and he's crying and Randy's crying. <laughs> and I was fucking crying at this point. Thinking, <laughs> Shit, there's another 30 minutes to go. <laughs> But what a 30 minutes. <laughs> but, and then it comes to like weird scenes, doesn't it? Where, and again, another Rocky throwback, which, uh, you know, it's kind of Rocky 4, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, where you've got um, like the training montage and you've got, you know, the Club of Lang stroke kind of, um, you know, character doing the, doing the real tough training where you've got Zeus punching through cinder blocks and shit like that. <laughs> And then it cuts to Rip, who's lowering his brother into like a massive kidney bowl <laughs> in this hospital. <laughs> what the fuck is that about? <laughs> and then you've got Zeus on a rowing machine, and you've got Rip kind of dabbing Randy's brow. <laughs> You're like, fucking hell. Oh, great. I love that scene. That's another classic scene actually but the thing with the kidney bowl was like what the fuck are they going <laughs> it's just a huge comedy kidney bowl and he's fully clothed it's not like they're giving him a it's like what are you doing <laughs> I don't understand it it's like, and he's stuck on his neck brace on which is brilliant <laughs> oh, great great stuff absolutely great stuff oh, sorry apologies to anyone that as a neck brace and has been lowered into a kidney bowl. <laughs> By Hulk Hogan. I'm, I'm really not taking the piss, but please put a photograph on Twitter. It's the crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've forgotten the kidney bowl. <laughs> oh, the kidney bowl was fantastic. So, but, yeah, so it sets up the big fight, doesn't it? Essentially. Yeah. And which, and uh, the, the comedy of errors that is kidnapping Sam and. <laughs> yeah. escaping yes. the slowest lift in the history of the world ever yeah yeah so the 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 other trope they have is where they decide that um because the, brell isn't actually convinced that that zeus the human wrecking machine although he wasn't called the human wrecking machine this but he was in the wwf is going to beat rip but he'll make sure so what he does is he, he hatches a plan that is that they will kidnap samantha and then he will ring rip and tell him that you know basically hey we've got your bird and if you don't throw it after 10 minutes good night vienna do you know what i mean <laughs> she's gonna that classic line you'll be pushing two wheelchairs around <laughs> <She's> like, brilliant <laughs> do you know what i mean get a double buggy wouldn't you um so, and the other amazing thing, so we cut to one scene where Randy's nearly dead, then he's in a kidney bowl, and, and then he's, he's having his brow mopped, and then what's supposedly a week later, he's, he's being wheeled into this, this match, into this <laughs> taping of this live fight, and it's like, well, you seem fucking recovered, didn't you? Never you know, underestimate I mean? the healing powers of a kidney bowl. 
I'm telling you, mate. He was he was trying to scam some some social security something that fellow, wasn't he? Because there was no way he was that injured. He'd, he'd have been off with a broken flask, that man. So um, yeah, so they wheel him into this lift that that takes forever, and then as he's leaving, the security guards kidnap Sam. So plan is plan is going according to plan here for Brell. He's the happy bunny. Rip knows he's got to throw the fight um, on 10 minutes and he's, you know, oh, And then the, the fight basically ensues, doesn't it? With um, <laughs> with with mixed success, shall we say. As yeah, it, it doesn't stay in the ring for long before they're sort of running around the whole place. No. Fighting no. up in the rafters and back down on the ring and then back up in yeah. the fucking sound booth. <laughs> Keep cutting to Randy in his wheelchair going, come on, Rip. Come on, Rip, try. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You've got an eight-foot guy trying to stave your head in with a ring post he snapped off. And all this little pipsqueak can say is try. I'll fucking try in a minute. You know, come up here, Ironside. And it's like, it's just just so annoying. And at some point, I remember watching it thinking, I hope somebody just, like, fucking does him in again. You know what I mean? And there is a great bit where uh, he does get another kick in off Zeus, actually, which I was like, little round of applause from me there. It's like, yeah, go on, you know, give Randy another kick. But yeah, there's a fight up, down, all over the place, isn't there? Um, another Rocky Three moment where he, he attacks Charlie, the coach, you know, much like uh, Club Alang attacks Mickey. Yeah. Charlie doesn't die, fortunately. He just, you know, he just gets floored and then He's miraculously better at the end. Sam escapes, you know. She she manages to escape because they're all engrossed in the fight and she sneaks out after an unnecessarily long pause of a cleavage shot. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're thinking, yeah, we're going to move on now. <laughs> that, that was vital to the story, though. <laughs> yeah. So she escapes, gets the world's slowest lift, um, eventually gets down to the, the ground floor where these are the, the the people waiting to capture her again but in because they've ran down the stairs quicker than the lift <laughs> yeah yeah well to be fair i think um randy would have got down quicker yeah. in his wheelchair and then rip's mates charlie and is it is it charlie and randy's mate who dropped him in the shit in the first place who come in yeah, and save the so. yeah yeah so they come in and rescue her and then she appears ringside just in time to prove to rip that he doesn't have to throw the match because she's safe. That's it. And then... Kurt full of shit's a brick. <laughs> yeah, shit's a brick. Uh, Rip hulks up. Typical Hulk Hogan style. We have ebb and flow. Typical scripting. You know, he's on the... He's getting defeated. He's going to go. Then he fights back. Then he looks like he's losing again. They end up in the rafters, as you say. And it finishes with him um, throwing Zeus off a balcony right through the ring. Who um, were major. Yeah. You and, ripped it. <laughs> yeah, rip. Rip him again. Um, pity you didn't throw him and land on Randy because that would have been like, if you're gonna add drama to a thing like this, that would have been it, wouldn't it? That's it. Killed, he won the fight, but he killed his brother. Yeah, you know, so uh, sell a t shirt with that on. And whilst all this is going on and, and Rip's fighting back, there's a great conceit where Brell is wrecking the uh, the TV studio, he's the only one in, strangely, don't know why that is. But he's pulling out wires and shit, and there's like because you know, nobody sees it, it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, and he's ripping out all the cables, and there's electrical wiring hanging everywhere. And then 
as Rip turns to face Brel in this this room and goes towards him, he jumps back and um, Brel electrocutes himself on the equipment, dying which, by the very network he tried to make number one. Which is really unsatisfying because you really wanted to see him get his comeuppance. Yeah. I know that he got electrocuted, but there's just something unsatisfying about it. You kind of wanted to see him, like, you know, maybe the woman he told to go and take a leak. Oh, becomes yeah. the new boss and you know you get that whole lucius fox rutger Hauer thing in batman begins yeah. it's like didn't you get or, the memo yeah or samantha would have come in and kicked him in the nuts or something yeah just you know added a bit of balance but damn pal you know as vince mcmahon would say you can't have women kind of asserting their authority can you so um yeah you kind of just electrocute it is a bit of a weird ending though isn't it it is and you this is where you get my favorite bit of hulk hogan acting which is <laughs> Is it? It's either where after he's knocked Zeus through the ring, or when um, Kurt Fuller gets electrocuted. But he goes ooh, but in a way that's like he's seen something painful, but it's also kind of saucy. Yeah, it's like yeah. a sexy ooh. I know, I know, and it's just yeah. such a bizarre choice. <laughs> it is weird. It is. I mean, it, I don't think he had much training on his, his his facial acting. But again, the weird thing is that's what he does for a fucking living. I know. He acts in pain and he acts like he's happy and he, you know, and it's like, that's what you do. You've been doing it for like 20 odd years. Why can't you just do it in a film? <laughs> it was almost like bizarre. It's like, like we yeah. can't get any pain reaction from him. Just show him the saucy French knickers again. The big ones. Oh, I, yeah. 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 And the <laughs> other thing I spotted at the end of the film, notice Randy can fucking walk again all of a sudden. <laughs> the little shyster. That's you know why he's I mean? that clean. He's a fucking... Should have thrown him in the middle of the ring, I tell you. Oh, man. <laughs> he's the real bad guy in this film. It's not Zeus, you know. I mean, I remember writing a, an English paper once about who was the uh, the tragic hero of Othello, and I wrote it was Yargo, you know, because the guy's the, he's the most intelligent person in the whole thing, and he's, he's pulling all the strings. It's quite a shame that his plan didn't come off in the end. And... Uh, yeah, my English teacher didn't like it. But in this one, you know, it's not Zeus who's the bad guy. It's not even Brel who's despicable. It's Randy. No wonder his mate dobbed him in. Yeah. And I fucking dobbed him in as well. That was probably his master plan. It's like, yeah, he's yeah. his brother. He's his brother. Andy said you've got a really small knob. That's what he told me. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And you like I'll to wear your coat French pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing we forgot to mention, though, about this end scene is that for all the money, the $8 million it took to make it, Zeus comes out for this fight of his life on network TV. It's going to be the biggest rated show of all time. And he's wearing the most ridiculous kind of tinfoil shoulder pads. <laughs> looks like fucking Boney M had looked at them and gone, not wearing that shit. And it's just dreadful, isn't it? It's like the worst outfit you've ever seen. No it's wonder like he was angry. Camp early 2000s dance video. <laughs> no wonder he was grumpy all the time. <laughs> Wearing that <laughs> like a right tit, <laughs> <laughs> but I hope people don't get the wrong impression about the film because it is actually really good fun. It is. <laughs> it's 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 the ideal film to chuck on with you know if you drink and that sort of thing. Get a couple of mates around, get the beers, oh. the pizza, and just yeah. watch the film. It's really good for that. I mean, I really enjoyed watching it by myself. Yeah, 
It is good, and I must admit, I enjoyed watching it. But and I was tra- I was trying to watch it differently because I was trying to watch it for things that we could critique. You know, if I'd have been in full nerd mode, I'd have just sat back, turned my brain off, and enjoyed it. But I was trying to be a bit more critical this time. Because yeah, it's critically, it's not a good film at all. No, but but there's just something weirdly enjoyable about it. And also, if you do watch it and i would urge people to try and watch it because it is definitely worth seeing even if just for the comedy value like you're saying it's it is a it is a drink with mates film isn't it it's you a know? so bad it's good movie and if any of you have got the wwe network watch i think it's super super tape eight or something that it's got the um the no holds barred cage match on as well and watch that afterwards because it, it does it does really kind of all sync together really well because that was the last time Zeus was in the WWF after that he did yeah. they just realized he was actually that bad that you know they couldn't continue anymore but it is a good match it is actually in that same campy style you know it is it is really really good fun the two things do complement each other um but yeah it's not it's not the worst film I've ever seen I have seen you know some significantly worse films than this. There are worse movies with wrestlers in it. There are yes, better there movies are. with wrestlers in it as well, but yeah. there's better movies with Hulk Hogan in them. But... Yeah, I was going to say that he's been in worse films, to be fair, but um, it isn't great by any means. And it, it certainly wasn't the vehicle that they thought it would have been to spring no. both the WWF and Hulk Hogan into the cinematic universe. You know, it. Um, Quite the opposite. <laughs> I yeah, so. I mean, it's almost bizarre that they carried on making movies with Hulk Hogan afterwards. In fact, but... it's, it's ironic because you can almost trace this back to um, the decline of Hulkamania, the whole movement around Hogan. Because yeah. when this film didn't hit, and then they had to essentially, you know, do the do the match afterwards, and then it ended up culminating in in kind of WrestleMania six and where they were passing the torch because I think they knew he was running out of steam as a, as a character, you know, people were getting a little bit bored of it. And because the film did take off, I think that meant they had to make changes. And um, yeah, so it's interesting from that point of point of view, from a kind of wrestling historical view, but it's not the worst film. It's not the greatest. No, it's it's very much a piece of its time. It's slightly out of its time for its time, but it's very much a piece of that. Yeah, um, I, I don't think enjoy... it's it's did not a film they'd it? make now. <laughs> yeah, did, did you actually enjoy it though? Considering you hadn't seen it before, I did. Like I say, I mean, when I first put it on, I was like, "Oh, what the fuck is he making me watch? I'm gonna have to pretend to like this <laughs> just to have a pleasant conversation about it." But I really did enjoy it. Like I say, I just got into it. It's... I think as it soon is. as you realise what it is, and just switch off. Yeah, just be like there. There's no point watching this with any form of critical eye, other than the well, that's ridiculous kind yeah. of criticism of it. Then you can perfectly, it's, like I say, it's one of those movies that is perfectly enjoyable. It's not trying to be anything more than it is. You can tell it's written by, you know, one guy and then two other guys just bashing it out in a hotel room, as in mm. bashing a script out, not doing press ups <laughs> on the bed in the French knickers. But. <laughs> Like I say, it's problematic. It's a piece of its time, but yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it's oddly enjoyable. Like I say, it's, it is. It's so stupid that it's almost brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like you know, there's some films that do that where you watch them back and you think it's not really a good film. This, but I enjoy it, and I enjoy it for as I say, for me, that it's a lot of the context around the film and what it takes me back to. That's what I enjoy about it. It's the feeling I get from watching it 
about yeah. being, you know, a young teen and and you know, life was a lot simpler then. And you could you could you could you know just enjoy things and and laugh about things more than now where we tend to be a bit too serious and a bit too critical about everything, you know. And um Monster Squad's another film like that. I love Monster I love Squad. Monster Squad. And you know, if you watch That's, it, it's a, I'm watching it's, that on Halloween. I watch that every Halloween. I love Monster Squad. It's dodgy as fucking places, but yeah. God, it's a good film. You know, it's really enjoyable. And and you know, there's other films like Stir Crazy is another one. Does it yeah. for me? You know, not a classic, but I will always watch it if it's on and enjoy it. And this is one of those. You know, it's a guilty pleasure. It truly, is a guilty pleasure. But yeah, I think it's uh, it's definitely one to watch. But you know, don't don't at me if you don't enjoy it. <laughs> You're the fucking problem, not me. You know, I mean, well, Randy's the problem. That's why you've not enjoyed it. Like, like I said, you've got to go into it knowing that it's bad. Yeah. And then you'll enjoy it. Yeah. It's a bit like an election, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know it's going to end badly, but you, yeah. you go along anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What's yeah, the politics? Worst that politics? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, right. let's, let's not slip down that dark hole. We were yeah. having a good time. Dream of it. <laughs> but, not enough brothers. Not enough brothers for me. Brother, no, that's it. Not enough for that. Not enough brothers in wheelchairs and, and neck uh, braces at elections. That's the problem. Bastard. What's that <laughs> I, I like to end these episodes now with uh, the Bernard Pivo questions that uh, right. James Lipton used to ask at the end of Inside the Actors Studio. Uh, okay. So, if you don't mind, I've got ten questions to fire at you. Okay. Uh, now I know you, you you kind of told me you're doing this, but I haven't um, done any prep for this at all. That's all right. So Nobody ever does. So genuine it's, responses, which I, I think important. that's better. So, okay. right. So, question one: uh, What is your favourite word? Twat. <laughs> it's multi, multi-purpose, and you can with different connotations. Yeah. You can do a jokey twat, <laughs> twat, and you can do a venomous sort of, twat, you know. So, yeah, that's my favourite. Oh, that's been my favourite word. Yeah. Uh, on the opposite scale, then, what's your least favourite word? Ooh. Hmm, that's a tough one actually. Because Randy, would... <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, um, I guess it would be um, there because nobody can use the right fucking there, there, <laughs> there, and there, there, over there, there. Oh, that's theirs. They are there. Nobody can do it. Nobody can spell it. And it, it drives me insane. And I think we should just eliminate all uses of the word there from the English language so that I don't have to read idiots and so, get really angry. I imagine how good the comments sections would be online if you could just get that there right. Yeah. Or if every time somebody did it wrong, a fist came out and punched you in the face until you got it right. <laughs> No fucking excuse. I went to school with people who cannot do there, where. You know, oh, it's just fucking no, uh, just no reason at all. Is the all right? 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's that's a good one actually. I've not had that one before. So, okay, question three: What turns you on creatively in life, whatever? <laughs> However, you choose to perceive that. All oh, right, okay. I thought you meant like a big pair of French knickers from the eighties. Um, <laughs> well, I mean that's well. a given. <laughs> Or, what or turns some me little on? tight ones on Hulk Hogan. I'll, I'll t- yeah. Well, they weren't even tighty whiteies because they were red, weren't they? I think. Yeah. So, you know. Um, yeah, they were pretty much his wrestling pants. They were. I think they were his under trunks. You know, because um, they were double trunks. You know, because they had to. Yeah. Um. Right. So, what turns me on creatively? Well, I'll tell you what. What does it for me? And it's something I've missed in this whole lockdown shitstorm that we're in, which is when you can stand about two to three feet away from a, an original painting that you admire. So I had this, we went to um, several times. One of them, we went to a Magritte exhibition up in um, Edinburgh years ago. And I remember standing, because I love Magritte's work. And I was stood, I was saying to H, you know, where I'm stood now is practically where he stood when he painted it in his living room. And same as when you go, you know, went to watch a Caravaggio, a Caravaggio exhibition and you stood there just behind the rope and you, and that, it does something creatively to me that, that lifts me spirits. This, you know, you're so close to this beautiful piece of art that you were almost stood in the footsteps of the person who did it. And that, I, I can't, I don't know if that answers your question, but it really does something to me that. And no, that does. And I've gone to galleries me. for years and that's never occurred to me when I've stood in front of a painting. Do it next time. It has to be one you like. Yeah. But do it next time. Next time I go to Cardiff that. and I'm stood in front mm. of the Monet. Yeah. Just just think that, you know, you're in that, that touching distance of, you know, actually Monet would be stood where I'm not necessarily in the same yeah. building, obviously, but, but, no, but, but would be stood in this position. And it... it it's amazing because then when when because you're that kind of close to it as well when you start scanning the picture you see it slightly differently as well especially on the big pieces like you know the caravaggio stuff which is quite quite large canvases yeah um you, you get a different perspective as well as to what they were looking at at the time they were painting and creating it so yeah so that's that's my um art wank answer for you if that's, <laughs> that's what that's you were for a podcast about no holds barred. Know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay then so what turns you off oh reality tv anything like that i fuck it i've got absolutely no interest in any of it i couldn't give two shits about <laughs> you know even people like even things like goggle box where people watch people watching me it's like I, I don't care i really could not give any less of a fuck yeah what some footballer's wife or somebody you know some some teenager from the northeast or down the south what what i don't care i genuinely don't care and i just go cold you know and people say oh do you watch like did did you watch like that fucking jungle thing you know with those two pricks (laughs) prick and prick or whatever they're called um and i'm like no i'd rather take my eyes out and fucking stamp on them do you know what I mean? Yeah, it just no, I doesn't do it at all for me. I'm... I did watch the original Big Brother when that first done. And I, I watched did. that was fascinating though, and that's why I watched it because I thought this is a one-off, and it's a, it's a fascinating scientific experiment. This about the human nature and about what happens. And I was 
I was got on my nerves, but I thought, no, I'm going to stick with this because it's interesting to see how it played out. Um, but after that, it was like, well, it's done now, isn't it? The why, trouble why? with things like that, The Apprentice, everything like that, is it ceases to be about just ordinary people under a microscope kind of thing, or, you know, ordinary people competing yeah. for a business job. And it just becomes, who's the biggest twat that's going to get the ratings Yeah, it up? is. It is. It's like a collection of twatage, isn't it? You it know, is. And you're like, I don't fucking care, you know. So, no. Well I mean, the only it, who's the biggest I'm... wanker? And... Yeah. The only other reality thing I probably watched was Endurance, which I used to quite enjoy. You know, if you remember yeah. that, um, when Clive James used to show clips of this Japanese game show where they just tortured each other until somebody <laughs> couldn't take it anymore and they'd, the other person would win. That was interesting from a voyeur kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> what are they doing? Um, but yeah, no, sorry. Doesn't do it for me. No, that's, that's perfectly fine. Um, what sound or noise do you love? Um, the sound of taking the top off a, a kind of a whiskey bottle or something you know that kind of pop and then the pouring i love that i love that sound of pouring not because i'm an alky or anything like that but there's just something about that sound yeah particularly because i mean h tends to have um sort of whiskey on ice so when you pour it over ice sometimes um it makes that kind of crackle and that yeah. glug i love that that gluggy noise that glug, mm. yeah and the ice cracking yeah there's just something about, about that sound. I don't um, drink and I want a whiskey now, you bastard. <laughs> I, find it, I find it quite comforting. It's weird. It's weird. It's just a nice... That, whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah. Like, oh, that's, that's really nice, that. Um, yeah, so... All right. We've gone well, down from the high ground now, haven't we? That's it. That's it. We're on the booze and the reality TV. Um, on the opposite scale, then, what sound or noise do you hate? Children. <laughs> Fucking children. Honestly, nothing against children. I, I know several children. And I like I like them in principle, um, but you know, crying children and shouting children, yeah, just do my fucking head in. It's like, see this guy here, Randy. Look at him. <laughs> see the state he's in there. Shut it, otherwise you'll be getting lowered into a fucking kidney bowl. You know what I mean? Just that sound of crying, and I've never liked. Even when I was a kid, the noise of other kids used to annoy me in school. Yeah, and. I, I I just can't, and it's not like I said, it's not that I don't like kids, you know. I mean, I've got some surrogate nephews and and nieces, and I love them to bits, you know. I genuinely do, and and they're brilliant as people, but it's just that when they start crying and whinging and oh fucking hell, no. See, I'm the like, thing that caps that off and makes that worse for me is when you then hear a little voice go, "Oh, don't do that, darling." It's like yeah. deal with it. I know. <laughs> don't do yeah. that. Or oh, what's he like? Oh, no, yeah, yeah. He was only a kid. Yeah, I was only a kid. I didn't fucking it's... moan and strike all the time. Do you know what I mean? Because I wouldn't have got away with it. <laughs> I wouldn't. My mum wouldn't have had all that shit. Oh, no, you'd, it, fucking, you'd have your have name been, smacked out of the phone book. <laughs> it would have been the classic, you know, I'll give you something to cry for. And you're yeah, like, that's okay, it. I'm going sh- to shut up now. <laughs> it's like, fucking hell, you know what I mean? <laughs> But yeah, so apologies to all those with kids, but just get them to shut the fuck up. Nah, will you? as as a parent, I can wholly concur. There, there was a thing going around recently that was like it wasn't until I had kids that I finally understood the thing with Yoda, where he gets so sick of answering Luke's questions that he just dies. Yeah, <laughs> that's true as well, isn't it? Okay, then. So, question seven: What's your favourite curse word? 
oh, I think I've shot my bolt here with twat, haven't I? <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. Um, oh, is there another one that's my favourite? Not one that I wouldn't want to say on your podcast anyway. Um, oh, that, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I think it would be the alternative to uh, to twat, the, the, the C version the C of yeah, I, I do. I must admit, I do enjoy, you know, a bit of uh, a bit of sea bombing now. And oh, then. A well placed sea bomb can be genius. It can either cut you deeply, or it can crack you up. And do you know the thing I love about it as well is that I've never known a word divide people so much. Yeah, um, you get people who are absolutely it. It just that's it. It just completely like shocks them and float and they're appalled and you get other people like me that just giggle you know i like think it's the tip mouse. If, if your tone's right it's such a venomous hard sounding word yeah. yeah and i think that's what gets people but it can also be a kind of like you know the oh you're right you see bomb yeah and it, it it is i think of it as a term of endearment to be fair you know when, oh, I when do. I, with most people because if i ever call you a and I'm trying to not say it, um, but if I ever call you this, it is because I genuinely do have affection for you. Um, yeah. It's a bit like you, Stu, you know, you daft cunt. But, you know, it's like <laughs> I genuinely do have an affection. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't use it in in really an aggressive way. I'd probably use twat more, but it is it is my favourite swear word just because it is still that little bit taboo. And not a lot is now, is it? You know, no, it is. No, I mean, one of my best friends used to call me cunt jobs. <laughs> she'd like ring me up she'd be like all right come jobs <laughs> it's like it's brilliant <laughs> See, it's, it's quite i like how we like, stepped around it and then we just said it three times <laughs> well you, you ruined it now, you? but you know so h and i have this thing where like if one of us is is kind of like in a different like upstairs in the studio or whatever, the other one's making something to eat or making a brew and shouting them down we always write an offensive thing to each other like you know <laughs> He's ready, cunt hole, you know, <laughs> things like that. And it's like, I, th- I honestly thought, and on the odd occasion, I have sent um, the wrong message to, so I think I once sent one to Tony Esmond by mistake, and I immediately had to write, going, that wasn't for you, that was for H. And I thought, that's even worse. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, well, come and get your T-shirt rag. <laughs> you know, it's like, oops, sorry, Tony. <laughs> every year, my wife's birthday card has got, like, twat, or cunt, <laughs> or fuckface, or... Dick bag or something like that written on the envelope. It's like the year that she puts my name on, I know I've done something horribly wrong. Yeah, it's like my dad. It's like I'm I'm 47 now, and my dad still can't spell my name right. <laughs> <laughs> he never spells it right. So it's Damien, and it's D A M I A N, and he never ever spells it right. Apart from once when he spelt it right in a card, and I got really worried. I said to her, "I think he's I think he's going a bit fucking do that now." Because he spelt my name right. But luckily, the next time at Christmas or something, he spelt it wrong again. I was like, yes. you know, thank fuck. So everything's back to normal. <laughs> Some people get really appalled at that. You know, I tell that story and people go, you're joking. I'm like, no. He's like, I'm not upset. You're like, no. He's a daft old twat anyway. You know, it's like, it doesn't mean anything with it. So it doesn't bother me. I find it quite amusing. But yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um... I'd like to attempt being a jizz mopper. <laughs> I think I'm good with a mop. Um, I'm 
chlorine smells things don't bother me um from the baths and stuff you know quite conscientious i wouldn't leave any any sort of secretion around for anyone to yeah i think i think i'd be a pretty good jizz mopper actually in the right setting i wouldn't do like you know some scabby kind of soap and grope parlor we'd have to be in a high class kind of quality establishment you know um but yeah i think i could i think i could on the pun <laughs> and then when you're watching clerks and they talk about the jizz mopper and that you'd be like that's me yeah. hey, that's what i do Absolutely. yeah there's a guy called um des o'connor and it's not the des o'connor it's another guy who does <laughs> i was gonna say i don't want to edit this bit out <laughs> google they'll google a guy called des o'connor um kind of um oh What's the thing? The, the um, oh shit! What's the thing they do with the dancing and the striptease and stuff? Um, oh, fuck! Can't remember. Begins with the B. Burlesque. So he he does. We used to we went a couple of times to the Lowry in Manchester. And they had these burlesque nights, which were really good actually. They were right, really funny, and you know they'd have like a comedian on and this guy, and then this guy called Des O'Connor, and he does. He comes on like a ukulele and he sings all these songs, and he's got this great song called Jizz Mopper. It's jizz mopper, jizz mopper. <laughs> you know, cheap shite white wine and things like that. He's actually really good. He's like a kind of adult version of John Shuttleworth. But yeah, <laughs> but it did get me thinking about an alternative uh, career. I think, yeah, that'd be that'd be one for me. That's a song to double bill with Faith No More with Jizz Lobber. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be having him lobbing jizz because I've got to mop that shit up. So. Well, no, it's pre-lobbed, I guess, and you just come in afterwards. Yeah, but, you know, let's have some respect. So, you know. <laughs> You don't, Not an you don't have to wear a visor to work. <laughs> well, I would now, wouldn't I? <laughs> well, yeah, you wouldn't, eh? I'd be like Marty McFly in the radiation suit, wouldn't I? It's <laughs> <laughs> with your Walkman on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm almost scared to ask this question now, but uh, what profession would you not like to do? Um, What profession would I not like to do? I guess it would be um, the person who has to... Um, attend to the lower carriage areas of Boris Johnson. <laughs> so I have this theory that, you know, because you can't be such a massive arsehole without having some professional support because, you know, there's got to be something that, you know, when you when you wear the arsehole on the outside and your body's on the inside, somebody must keep that arsehole kind of respectable and clean to some degree. So I think he must have people that are paid to just basically, you know, keep him spruced so that, you know, that they don't have any tag nuts um, when he's on question time and stuff showing as he's talking. And I wouldn't want to do that. Um, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near the mop headed twat because, um, you know, I'd probably try and turn him back inside out again. But, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't do anything like that. I couldn't do any work where I'm dealing with racist sort of homophobic bigoted cunts just wouldn't really be me i'd be quite happy just mopping jizz instead i think yeah yeah it's, it's an honest living it is it is yeah as opposed to pandering to fascists yeah <laughs> oops <A> bit of politics <laughs> i apologize i was possessed then by the spirit of uh you know political satire <laughs> ben elton entered me <laughs> <laughs> you were <laughs> <laughs> all right then uh, last question if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates 
So I struggle with this as a devout sort of atheist because I, I can't even consider a concept where when people say, well, what if it did? And I'm like, but it can't, though. My brain doesn't work like that. And I'm like, well, fucking stupid. I said, like, what if it did? I'm like, well, it doesn't, though, does it? Um, but if it did, and for you, I'm, I'm putting my, my disbelief to one side here. And I assume um, what I'd like to hear him say when I get to the pearly gates is, here's your mop. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately um all the catholic priests are over there <laughs> so you're gonna need a bigger bucket <laughs> awesome I can... Think, right? <laughs> I can honestly say that that did not go the way i thought it would <laughs> oh, right. Get, feel free to edit it out if we've no, got no, any, no, no, no. any priest no. listening to this. You know, if, you know, actually, did you did you hear the other day about that that guy? I think he was a pastor in America who got caught having a threesome with those two um, sort of uh, devil worshipping pole dancers or something on an altar. It was the Amden, in Florida or something. And they were having like this demonic threesome allegedly on this altar with these two sort of um yeah. and you just think and he was recording it as well. And you think this is this is great. But the thing that made me laugh is that somebody came on and went, the most shocking thing is you know, Catholic priest caught in compromising position with two consenting adults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's always a fucking religious person in America, isn't it? It's like the televangelists and all them people, all the people all that claim to be, you know, holier than they. They're all dirty bastards, mate. Of course they, they are. A lot of them. Rotten. They're all they're all pro life until it's something awkward happens to them, and then you see now I'm get political. But oh, dear. yeah. Well, just remember, it could be worse. You could be Randy. You could be uh, Randy. And, and if if this is more range listening, we don't we don't panic. We mean Randy from, um, you know, No Old's Bard. <laughs> Not that might Randy be worse, to be fair. In a French knicker style. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Before we go then on that bombshell, um, <sighs> uh, where can people find John Lyon and, you know, what should they be checking out of yours? Um, yeah, so, I mean, obviously all my stuff is under art92 so whether it's there's art92.com there's facebook art92 twitter instagram um and as i say on the podcast that we keep the same handle on all these things because you get to our age and you're lucky if your members to put your fucking pants on in the morning do you know what i mean See, so you I'm need go- to change that up now to big french panties i'm going to yeah that, that's <laughs> i'll make a note next episode more, that's all i want to hear <laughs> more than one login and that's it i've had that's- it um so yeah r92 just searches out if you want to look at our work um got issues one and two of galaxy graphing alliance out we've got issue one of pre-mortis and we're currently working on pre-mortis issue two um we're struggling though i must admit i've written my kind of continuation of my story but h is struggling to do a kind of one shots because she can't actually think of anything that's fucking worse than what's going on at the yeah. moment. So she's like, I don't know what to put. What am I going to put? <laughs> I wrote this down. And that's just Monday. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah. So we are, but we are looking to get it out uh, first quarter next year. So that'll, that'll be coming out. Um, 
on other things, we've got a YouTube channel again under Art92. Um, H has a Patreon channel. If anybody's interested in learning how to draw, and a lot of Patreon channels, um, she, she concentrates on things like pet portraits and stuff. And a lot of them that are out there basically give you a, a, a traced image that you can download and essentially colour it. Whereas what H does on, on hers is she teaches you how to actually draw from scratch about you know proportions and things like that so that's that's good and there's the uh omen to that podcast as well if you don't mind me shilling my own um podcast so every fucker's got a podcast these days yeah. including me um <laughs> as it was said to me and i'm like yeah you're right um and omen to that is basically i have a it's a kind of sporadic thing i try and do it as regular as i can but as Stuart, you'll know, mate, it's not that easy sometimes. Um, no, my my attitude is this shit gets put out for free, so you yeah, get it exactly. when you get it, and not, we're not hopefully making you enjoy any it. Money it. Yeah, and that comes out hopefully every week, but every two weeks or so, and I have a selection of guests. They come on and they talk about different things. You know, we try and talk about comics, art, anything creative. Um, you know, I don't try and do it as a comics podcast because when you've got people like Awesome comics out there you, you know why try and do something fucking better than that do you know what i mean it's just it's no point so i try and take a slightly different approach to it where we just look at different topics so we've looked at the art of uh convention which you were on thank you very much in the art of running the con is it your um, lowest rated episode <laughs> not at all no it's doing quite well actually we had some good feedback i've got a, um i'm not sure when this one will come out but we've got a really good one for halloween that i've just um announced today which is I was thrilled to have um, Graham Humphreys, who I think is the godfather of um, British movie posters. Yeah, he, he's on there, and we have a great chat and a laugh. And no, I'm really looking forward to that one. I saw you shout about it today. I was so excited. I recorded it a couple of weeks back, um, and I've been sitting on it for Halloween. So, if you haven't um, listened to that, then you you will enjoy it. And yeah, and the guests I get on are all good people. They're all a good laugh. You know, we have it. We we try not be too strict with it we just let it go where it goes yeah. you know um so yeah give that a listen and that's basically yeah i don't think i've forgotten anything we're just trying to keep busy and bring some enjoyment to people in what is otherwise a bit of a crappy time you know yeah it's yeah well no like i say i not just because i was on it but i can vouch for the omen to that podcast and galaxy grappling alliance if you like wrestling or shit in space or aliens it's yeah. the comic for you. It's a really a, good read. I really enjoyed it. I oh, said to you before, but it's, yeah. it taps into, like we talked about on this, but that whole nostalgia for old school wrestling. Yeah, and we try and do that. You know, we try and keep it. I mean, it's a difficult thing to do, write a wrestling comic, because it's two things that are difficult about it. One is that you, you can't really spend a lot of time on character development, because a lot of the people who buy it, buy it because they want wrestling and fighting. And... You know, I've read some wrestling comics and, and they kind of just go like, you know, in three panels, that's a fight. Yeah. And you know, like, I always feel a bit cheated with that because it's not like that, you know. Um, so I try and take take you through the the actual, uh, you know, the, the kind of whole story arc of a fight. But it doesn't leave a lot of time to do other stuff. So and the third one, which is coming out next year, which will be called Galactic Rumble, um, I'm going to try and do a bit more character development um, as well as a bit more fighting just to level it off a bit because there's quite a story I want to tell with it really and 
at the moment, I'm just still trying to set the scene of of what the GGA is and, and things yeah. like that. But I'm glad you liked it because I mean, don't get me wrong, it doesn't. I mean, I'm I'm not a popular creator. Like you know, you see some people who you know people are chomping at the bit for the latest um, creation things that come out, and I'm not I'm not that person. I don't have that kind of draw really, and yeah. people. You know, they just kind of, it's its very much, oh, that's interesting, you know. Um, so, but I've got a small kind of hardcore following for GGA that you have people that really enjoy it. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to persevere with it. I've got a few other projects in the pipeline as well. Like I said, I want to get back to Primor, do a bit of horror, enjoy a bit of horror. And there's a couple of other things that I'm interested in doing, but it's just time and, you know, yeah, I work it. full time and all this is done sort of evenings weekends and and shit like that so but well, i enjoy well, doing it you know that's it the, the beauty of not having a massive following is that there's not too many people waiting on it kind of thing and i mean that in a good way so yeah yeah and you, you can do it honest, when you're ready rather than because yeah. you have to and don't get me wrong you know anyone listen, i never thought i would get a massive following for anything i did so i'm not whinging about that i'm just saying that it like you say it does take the pressure off and it means i can I can experiment a bit more with what I want to do because yeah. it's not like I'm, it's not a business model where I'm thinking, shit, you know, if I don't get this issue right, I'm going to lose thousands of sales. It's like, you know, if I don't get the issue right, I might lose one or two people. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it, it does free you up to be a bit more creative, I think, and try different things. But I just enjoy doing it, you know, I enjoy the whole wrestling thing. Um, it's just a bastard to draw. It yeah, really yeah. Is. I mean, it's it comes not... across in it that you're clearly a fan of wrestling and you you know about wrestling. It's not just like you've been like, wrestling's popular at the moment mm. yeah. kind of thing. And I think that really comes across in it. And I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about it. Yeah. Um, like you, I've read some wrestling comments. Like, I don't think these people have ever seen a wrestling match. <laughs> no, no. And it's weird, isn't it? But I don't know. I, I guess I just try and make things as authentic as I can in in what i do but yeah we'll see we'll see got a couple of cover gigs as well that i'm discussing at the moment with people who um want me to do a couple of covers so that's quite nice that keeps me yeah up. um but yeah it's, it's all it's, it's, it's all, all good mate. Right there isn't it? yeah, exactly and you know what just do it for fun you know I, I, don't, I don't claim i'm any good and i don't claim that we're ever going to make a living out of it. We just do because we enjoy creating, much like yourself. We we just it's something inside you that makes you want to create, doesn't it? Makes That's you it. want to draw. Do it because you enjoy it, and anything else is a bonus. And if one person likes it, honestly, I'm thrilled to bits. Yeah. <laughs> I genuinely am. It's like when you know I had a guy yesterday who contacted me about the uh, the latest podcast that had sent out, which he enjoyed it and explaining why he enjoyed it, and it, it was really nice actually because you know the thing with podcasts, you don't know if people fucking you see the downloads but you don't have people listen to them and then you don't have to enjoy them and you know because you you don't get a lot of feedback no Uh, so it's really nice when people do feedback and say you know i like gga or really like pre-mortis or you know really like the poor and it's just i don't know little things like that just i always try and make an effort to tell people when i've enjoyed something yeah no i'm the same you know well like i say like um that episode you did with h i really enjoyed that Mm. and i pretty much had to tell you straight away in a yeah, fanboyish kind of way and be like <laughs> no not so no i mean you know it's it's great and one thing i am doing with the podcast as well is i'm, I'm gonna do um 
because I, I do I kind of split it between topics such as running a convention or you know doing a Kickstarter things like that to give people yeah. a bit of a process. I also have a series I run where I look at individual creators. So you know I've I've got obviously I've had Ryan Brown on, John McRae was on, um, yeah. I've got a couple of other creators lined up. Graham Humphreys will be on. Um, Paul was on last week. Paul Johnson yeah. talking about um, Cannibal and stuff like that. Um, and I'm I'm also noodling with the idea. I've got a few people lined up, and I'll be knocking on your door because I'd like to talk to people about the origins of their podcasts as well. Because I find it fascinating. Okay, yeah, that's cool. You know, I've got I've got quite a list of podcasts that I really enjoy and I listen yeah. to. Yours is obviously one of them, and you know, so I, I'm I want to talk to people behind them about you know where did the idea come from and where you know how do you what do you enjoy about it and stuff like that. So. I've got a few people lined up to do that one at the moment, um, uh, which is, you know, quite good. And I've, and I've still got loads of other people to ask who I think yeah. would be good. But I think that would be interesting for people. Um, no, definitely. And I, like I say, I mean, what I like about yours is even the stuff that I'm not particularly interested in. I love mm-hmm. listening to people talk about it. It's like the last one. It's not necessarily my kind of thing with regard yes. to what I look for in comics. But it was great to listen to, and it was great to listen to people talking about why – they like that why it yeah. that it drives them to create horror comics or yeah. you know whatever comics it's fascinating kind of isn't it i'm i'm and, always fascinated by people's origin stories and where people get their inspiration from and why they do what they do and it it just it's a genuine i, I mean the reason i do the podcast this is firstly because i'm trying to just give a bit of entertainment to people because it's shit otherwise yeah. and secondly i just enjoy talking to people about what they do you know why they do it and it fascinates me yeah, um, I'm, I'm the same. I've always been fascinated by that flash of genius, that moment where you, you know, you get the spark of the idea that snowballs into the thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'll be, uh, I'll be giving you a call to, awesome. to ask you to come on. But and that won't be a continuous series. What I'll do is I'll try and mix it up a bit because you know people like different things. So yeah, I'll maybe have something on a particular topic. Um, you know, I'd like to do one about teaching um, about as far as you know kind of teaching workshops and, and creative things about how that's changed or will change yeah. since the pandemic because you know h herself would set up a load of workshops that she's going to teach people and we had to cancel them because we went into lockdown and I'm, i know other creators who are, are starting to do workshops again they're either trying to do them physically or they're trying to do them virtually and yeah i'm interested in how that works how do you know how do people approach it differently and that's the kind of stuff i'm I kind of try and bring is a slightly different look at a topic rather than just a straight interview all the time. Although I do enjoy doing just straight interviews with people. Yeah. Because people are fascinating most of the time. In fact, yeah. I've been very lucky. Everyone I've had on so far has been really good guests, you know, um, which is a good job because I'm on it. So if they're <laughs> fucking shit, then the whole thing's gone tits up. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> I say it. It's, I'm the same. It's, you know, I'm carried by the people I get on the pod. Rather than... <laughs> Well, you're fucked tonight, mate. No, fucking hell. <laughs> this will be like one of those. Oh, it didn't record. Sorry. It's you, <laughs> me, and no holds barred. It's the holy trinity. <laughs> Wrapped in a pair of big French knickers. <laughs> you know, in the back of a cupboard, covered in food from a food fight. You know. That's it. In a slight in a, in a diner that's been ruined. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and on that note i think it's it's a it's a good time to sign off and go and do our push-ups on the bed 
I think it is. Separately. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Not together. That'd be weird. Okay. Well, I've put the sheet up, so you're Excellent. all right. Just, just don't try. You know, don't try breaking the bed again and get me to roll on top of you. It's all right. I've, I've got yeah. my tight pants on. I hope you've got your French pants on. So. <laughs> I have, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go and get my bra out of the dryer. So it's, uh... <laughs> Excellent. It's got to be clean and dry. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Cheers, D. No, enjoyed it. And uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed it as well. And go see Noel's Bard. It might be shit, but it's fun shit. And that was episode nine of And Why Not? Uh, I'd like to thank Damien for coming on and doing this episode with me uh, and talking No Holds Barred. Uh, If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you did. um, And do you have any thoughts or comments on the film? Uh, Please let us know by commenting on wherever you saw this, Facebook, Twitter, uh, on Podbean, um, wherever. Uh, Thank you for listening. There's a million podcasts out there, so it means a lot that you chose to listen to this one. if you enjoyed the pod, uh, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever it's called now. Is it still called iTunes? Who knows? Whatever it is, anyway. Um, and it helps people see the show and does something to our algorithm. I don't know. But, yeah, if if you got five seconds and you don't mind just leaving us a review and a quick comment about the pod, why you like it or whatever, or why you don't like it, um, yeah, that would be cool. Uh, that's it for this one. Um, I will, I will put all the, the links in the show notes for Damien and myself. Uh, if you are interested in finding me online, uh, or you can find this podcast online. We're on Facebook as facebook.com forward slash haunted nerds. We're on Twitter as at haunted nerds. Uh, you can find all the previous episodes on the true believers website, which is oktruebelievers.com. And obviously we're on Podbean as well, which is hauntednerds.podbean.com. Uh, if you want to seek me out online for whatever reason, uh, abuse or my laughable attempts at drawing, uh, you can find me on Twitter as at tokennerd. I'm on Instagram as Stuart thinks he can draw. There's an underscore between Stuart thinks he can draw. Um, if that makes a difference, I don't know. And um, I'm on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Stuart can't draw. You can also buy my comics on the True Believers website or Big Cartel. Um, I've got a red bubble store for a Murder, She Wrote Magnum PI image I did that you can now buy on a t-shirt if that sort of thing floats your boat. Um, and yeah, I think I've got an Etsy store as well, but you can find the links to everything on the True Believers website on the comics page. Um, again, I'll put all that in the show notes because that probably made no sense whatsoever. Um, until next time, uh, this has been a Nerds Who Haunt Themselves production and I've been Stuart Moraine. Um yeah, uh, we should hopefully be back soon with another episode of something. Um, and until then, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>